Welcome to the M Word podcast. Brought to you by Martin. That's me. And Matt. That's him. Hello, Matthew. Martin. Mark. <laughs> Martin. <laughs> well, hello. Uh, so lots going on. So let's, uh, for those watching as well, we're also live now on, uh, on that Facebook thing. Uh, so we're joined by Mark Christian, not long back from the Tour of Italy. Thanks for coming down. Appreciate you spending some time with us. No worries at all. We brought in a, an extra host to help uh, Matt and I and show us how it's done. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Hines, who was an earlier guest, uh, has been in the cycling world since day dot, really, uh, and has also done, has been team manager for, for, for events. And we're going to dig into here with Mark and I'm sure he can provide some insight into, into racing as well. So appreciate you both joining us. Mm-hmm. No problem at all. So, uh, we're going to, we touched on before we came on air, we're going to sort of dig into two areas of your career so far, the Commonwealth and representing the Man, and then hopefully a deep dive into the Giro and, and that three-week tour, the Tour de France has just started. Just maybe give a bit of insight what goes on in the background. I'm a cyclist all my life and probably millions of things going on in that background that we don't realise, so it'd be good to do a bit of a dive into that. Mm-hmm. So maybe to recap uh, a bit about your earlier career, so... Uh, just going through your uh, Wikipedia page. Uh, I don't know whether you're allowed to update that. I don't know whether you can update it. Not so. sure, to be honest. Yeah, God knows what we find on there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you're part of the Olympic program in sort of, well, it probably feels like a long time ago now, 07. Yeah. So that was the earlier days, I guess, of what, what we see now. Yeah. Uh, but following in the footsteps, I guess, of people like Cav, Pete Kenyon, guys like that. What yeah. memories do you have of those early days? Um, yeah, so I think 2007 would probably be first year junior. And that was when... Like at the time, they had the track program, which was called the ODP, Olympic Development Program. And that was kind of like every sort of junior at the, at the time sort of aiming towards that. It was before, it was sort of before the times guys were going to Europe and sort of breaking through like on their own way, which kind of happens a lot more now. Kind of that was kind of like the plan A really for a lot of riders. Um, and I, yeah, sort of like coming through the junior ranks, we'd had Carve ahead of me. We had, uh, Johnny Bellas, Peter Kenyuk as well. So I was sort of, um, almost like next in line to trying to, trying to follow in their footsteps a little bit. And it was nice to have them sort of head to say, you know, like showing what's possible really to, to sort of get off the Ironman and do it on like a British level and, and even further afield. So, um, yeah, just all, just remember sort of that sort of time being in school and just that was all I sort of wanted really was to get onto this BC program, which sort of led from the junior program onto the under 23s team yeah. and, uh, and was yeah. sport like the through school was that a side distraction then? Uh, which one, school, the distraction, school. or yeah, off, yeah. Off, yeah. the cycling? Yeah, yeah. this the school. I think yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I can remember. I I'd had done my GCSEs, and then once I got into A levels, like I knew that I wanted to move away and come onto this the under twenty three academy, which means you're based in Manchester in Italy. And um, yeah, I remember sort of having to argue almost with the teacher to let me do two two subjects instead of four so obviously he meant to do four to go into uni or whatever and he was he said okay if you want to drop one we'll let you do three but I was like it's still gonna be too much there's not enough time for like training and all this I was like oh I just want to do two at least two is better than nothing and then I had like one year at a level and then at the end of that level end of that year sorry I got picked for this under 23 team and then yeah that was Bye. it off I went yeah <laughs> which yeah looking back I mean a lot of ta- lot of people now and I'd probably advise it as well like if you can do the studying and get that under your belt at the time 
it's probably the better thing to do as well. Parents uh, screaming at you rolling their eyes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. Because yeah, you just you don't know we're cycling. You don't know what's around the corner. So um, probably the sensible thing to say now. I'm probably showing my age, but um, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, your, your sister rides as well. Is the cycling further back in your family? No, it's no. not actually. Not really. Um, especially not sort of racing comparatively at any sort of level. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I was the first really. Just started on the Tuesday nights and. It was only when I, yeah, sort of got into that. I think my sisters sort of followed suit. Um, just like I say, Tuesday nights down there just for fun, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was only when I got a bit older and started going away for longer periods of time. When I come back again, I'd realise like how much Anna was sort of progressing with it. And like I go away okay, and yeah. she was just like a young, you know, like I say, doing the Tuesday nights. And then next thing I come back and she'd be like starting to look a bit bit better a bit more serious and then another couple of months later i think oh god she's actually starting to go quite good now looking like a proper cyclist and that and then um yeah she she seemed to really take to it as well but yeah none of our parents up before that was no nothing so those early years uh again looking through the 08 european track champs i mean you you're young again they must be amazing amazing opportunities i guess to so, I mean, ultimately, it's the world stage, isn't it? At a young age to be on the racing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's um, yeah, it was part of being on that sort of GB program that we were talking about before. Really, the chance to get into them sort of events, and um, yeah, it was like really cool just to sort of take that step up, really, and like get onto a world level, and um, yeah, massive experience. Really, really enjoyed it at the time. So, from your side, uh, Gary, when you're looking ahead at picking our man teams, the guys that are then going away. I suppose ultimately trying to make a career is of this desire to be like, don't go too far quite yet because we need you to represent us. Well, no, not really. No, I, I think um, from a very early stage in my involvement, um, we had sort of uh, uh, pre-selections. So if you were good enough to be riding for, for Britain or on the British Academy or any British programme, it was an automatic selection as far as I was always concerned mm-hmm. because... That's the that has got to be the focus for anybody. Give anybody the support and structure to to progress, and they should meet reach their own maximum potential if they've got that support and structure. So, for me personally, um, you'd always try and get them onto the British Academy because then somebody else is paying for their progression, and we're not doing it yeah. because we haven't got that we haven't got that financial resource to to do what Mark was able to do yeah. with, with the British Academy, but. Mark was a shining example of why we set it all up in the first place. Because in 2007, we created Team Isle of Man, which um, we brought in a major sponsor at the time, which was Microgaming. And and our mission statement was at that time to take a raw schoolboy, 16-year-old, through to a Commonwealth medal. And we wanted to try and do that in three years. And we set that up in 2007. And I know you're going to jump ahead, yeah, yeah. No, no, but Mark no. is, is from being a schoolboy when we set it up, so first year junior to winning a, a, gold, a, a bronze medal yeah, in three years. Commonwealth Games in three years. So it was it was great. We achieved our, our goal. Yeah. And, uh, well, certainly Mark achieved his and has gone on to better things. Well, before we dig into that Commonwealth, just two, two quick things. Uh, when I look back at, and again, I wasn't really involved, so I maybe didn't appreciate it. And when you look back, it's, it's so much different. But 09, 010, you're racing on the track. In the pursuit, silver medals, points, points champion, uh, Matt first in the Madison National Track, and you're riding with people like Pete Kenyuk. Uh, I saw another one where Luke Rowe was riding with Garrett Thomas. There was, I think you guys beat them in the second place. Yeah, I, it's a conversation when Gary and I were talking, and it isn't. It's completely not meant disrespectfully, but where they're now sat in a, mm-hmm. a career wise, we talked about 
how as an observer, almost just you've never quite had, and it's just sound respect as you've written the Giro, but quite those maybe, it just seems to be bad, not bad looking, just not those lucky opportunities. Do you look at it that way? Or are you more forward thinking and going, well, I'm here now and, and this is, yeah. it could be worse. I could be someone perhaps, uh, we've chatted to Johnny who's had a bad accident and he's yeah. in a completely different place. Yeah, 100%. I think, um, no, I definitely just sort of take it as it comes really in terms of where you are now, as you say. Um, but yeah, I, I guess like, yeah, everyone just different paths, different doors opened at different times. Um, had a little bit of bad luck over the years, but nothing like, um, you know, nothing that I have mass, mass regrets over or anything like that. Um, but just, yeah, like you say, yeah. I mean, it's just. Don't know. Yeah, I suppose we observe cyclists and it's just super, super talented and obviously achieved a lot and just feels like. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. and it's fine margins as well. It yeah. really is. It's always like sort of knocking on the door of this, like next little step or something like that. And the difference between sort of breaking through at a certain time and not, it's like, like such a fine margin all the time. It could be a race win um, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Do you look back in those times when you're racing against guys who ultimately, you know, in the peloton with you now, uh, they must be quite, quite unique things to look back on as kids, basically, you were bombing around. Yeah, uh, exactly. Reach the pinnacle of the sport. Yeah. And it's always weird that you, no matter what race you go to, you always like, you've got something to chat to about them times as well now. And like the amount of guys from that sort of era of British cycling, which obviously now it's just like convey belt every year, but, uh, there's always people from them earlier days where, it's always like, you know, you've got like Swifty here now and even like recent races at the Giro, there's chatting to like Simon Yates who you bump into and yeah. one of their Mar- Madisons was uh, with him. And yeah, like I say, there's always, you're always chatting to someone about them sort of that like 2008, 2010 sort of time. Um, yeah, which is great really. All a bit more carefree. Yeah, we're all heading towards retirement now, which is <laughs> strange, yeah. Uh, so, so let's talk about the Commonwealth in 2010. It was in Delhi. There's quite a lot of chat about it because I think of where it was as well. I think people, I think in all sports or a number of sports weren't that keen to travel. Was that something sort of, again, as you're going through the British, that you had in your mind that you want to represent the Ironman? Yeah, because, yeah, I think at the time the Commonwealth Games coming up, we were, I'd been on the academy for two years, I think. So by the time we got to the end, I think it was October, wasn't it, on mm. 2010. So I'd been sort of off Ireland for like the previous two years, in sort of Manchester doing the track and then we were based in Italy for the road season and that was kind of almost you're almost sort of going back to your roots a bit by putting the Alaman jersey on again and like you'd been sort of representing GB for so long and then you know doing all these sort of different races like the different championships and stuff and then it was just so nice to come back to like the guys that you're growing up with and like the previous sort of under 16 junior days where you've um, you know been racing over locally and been going to like UK races and stuff and Guys like Burgers here and Mike Doyle and everything, and just having like such a great crack, really, with you know, mates, being, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, going back to doing it with your mates as well. Um, so yeah, it's all, it's always been nice to put the Ironman jersey on, no matter no matter what time. Going to Delhi didn't bother you, didn't cross your mind if oh, we, thoughts. It did a bit, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can remember clearly having conversations with Mark because it, Delhi in itself had a lot of challenges. There was all sorts of rumors of contamination and and all yeah. sorts of things that you could pick up um there was like so, de- what was it called dengue fever at one stage uh, i was virtually decimated with no team at yeah. all there was nobody coming and nobody yeah. wanted to go and and i can remember sitting with mark clearly and and reflecting back on my life and thinking as you get older them 
then the riding in the Commonwealth Games is, is just the most fantastic thing you can ever do. If you're a lower level rider, like say I was, not at Mark's level, but it still is when you're older, a highlight of your, of your, of your life. You know, it's a memory of going to mm. the Commonwealth Games and representing your country. It's a multi-sport event as well, which is there's something special about it because yeah. you're there with your runners and the boxers and the, and the swimmers mm. and the shooters and everybody. And I can remember having sitting in the car with Mark and just saying, you know, I was actually pleading at this stage. I think you need to come. I need to see you yeah. anyway. And both him and Chris Worrell at the 11th hour said, yes, they, they would come. And, um, well, it was the best thing for, for, certainly for the team. And then when Cav came in from the Worlds, didn't he just ridden the Worlds, I think in Melbourne? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Um, he flew in with Dave Miller and, uh, and 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 that time was just a great time. I think you know it's a pity. I think Peter was missing, wasn't he? But- yeah, but I think like <clears throat> still classic as well. Like we were watching the news channels and like the BBC go and pick like the one room that hadn't been finished, and oh, okay. they had like a big leak in the thing or something like that, and looked dead dingy. And they're like, oh, the the village isn't ready. That this, that, and the other, and the dengue fever, and they're obviously reporting on it. Like it was, you know, like we were going into God knows what. Like, <laughs> but um, I think. And, and also there was a few sort of like high profile athletes, which you know, they were sort of dropping out and then a few, few guys were dropping out and you think, Oh God, what are we doing? Like this, it seemed a bit crazy at the time yeah. for us. We were like, you, you think it's even going to happen? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But obviously naive at the time we, yeah. And, um, yeah, now best, best decision we made in the end, uh, to go. Probably, yeah. Probably maybe set up that you think it's going to be that bad dice when you get there. It's not. Exactly, yeah. For a village, it was actually quite nice, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, I mean, there was not a lot of imagination used in a road circuit, but you know, <laughs> it's behind, it was yeah. fenced off with armed guards and couldn't yeah. get a bus without an armed guard. Oh, but gosh. generally, yeah. uh, I mean, the track and, and Mark's ride on that, I'll never forget that night ever for me personally. But, uh, you know, the whole experience was was a good one, really. Mm. Before we yeah. dig into that, that night, then the, <clears> and again, at the level you're at, can you... I presume there's qualifying criteria to do certain events because obviously I presume one of the best on the island up track. Or can you just cherry pick? I want to do this, this, and this. Uh, f- from, from me, yeah, sorry, from or, your personal uh, perspective. There yeah. were, I think there, there are sort of standards you have to make, isn't there? I don't know if that's like a, is that an Isle of Man selection? Uh, like well, the there, there are games? standards, but yet again, we we instigated that if you're riding at, at, yeah. at national level on a on a national academy mm-hmm. team, it's automatic select. Yeah. It, it's it's a, it's a buy through. You don't need, you don't need to meet. If you're good enough to represent Britain, you're certainly good enough so to represent Ireland. Like, do we then more pick on what you want to ride? Was that a collective conversation or? Well, the, the thing we had, we only had two track riders, so obviously we can't enter the team pursuit. Yeah. <laughs> so there's only two endurance races that are endurance riders. Him and Chris were both endurance riders, so we we just had the two riders. We didn't wow. have anyone else, I don't think. So yeah. I mean, Peter would have been the. A, a, an unbelievable addition to the team, but he, yeah. he didn't. Uh, he chose not to come to Delhi. So yeah. Tim um, was riding at the time as well, when his brother Tim. Yeah, yeah, that's one. right. Yeah, and yeah. He, he didn't want to come either. So it was. Uh, it's just what it was. You only got the two endurance races, and then you can concentrate on the road, which which Mark did. So it's that points race. Uh, that's for those that don't know, and uh, probably butcher it every maybe ten or twenty <laughs> laps. Points over line for the first three. Uh, right for it's, point it's uh, it was every five, five laps right. and first four rides. No, sorry, first, first four, first five four, maybe because they've minus. changed it recently. Yeah. But I think is it four or five on the on the points, and it's every like ten laps. Yeah, each, every yeah. ten laps, and I think it's five, four, three, one, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. yeah you're right. You accumulate, and then the last lap double points. And yeah. if you take a lap on the field, you get like uh, was it twenty points? Yeah. yeah, right. Okay. So, what was the plan beforehand before that race? Did you have a 
what burger sale for you? Uh, pretty much, we had like <laughs> <laughs> we we sort of knew what other riders to watch really as well. That was sort of the main thing, um, picking out sort of, um, well, not even to watch, but. You know, you know the guys that you need to react to and all that as well. Um, but I think for me, yeah, it was probably, I, I remember like taking it a little bit easier at the start and just sort of like, because of what can happen in a point race a lot of the time, people go like chasing these points early on and just sort of run out of gas a little bit halfway through the race. And then when it sort of steps up again, it's like the guys that have gone too early, just tire out basically by the end, especially and for me, I think the lap gains where I was going to be more, get like uh, get me points, but rather than the sprints. Yeah. So um, I think Bobbin was probably more targeting the sprints a little bit more where I'd be a bit more patient, wait till later on and then try and like take some laps. And in the end, I was, I think I was two laps up on like, um, yeah, two gate, two lap gains, basically. The winner had three. Um, so that was where I was like gained the right. most amount of points really. Uh, and then, yeah, within that, you've got the sprints to sort of uh, try and take care when you're taking laps as well they sort of take care of themselves a little bit because you're sort of already off the front picking up a couple of points yeah yeah yeah. chipping away and then um, so yeah that there was the lap gains that put me in the best position really and then it all come down to the last sprint for the bronze medal (laughs) we were tied on points going into the very last sprint yeah with, uh, with Sam um, Welsh, Welsh, yeah, and it, it was quite, it was quite fun. I think the last three sprints, because uh, both the guys were on their knees by this stage, so it was a case of whoever led it out, no, the other person just didn't have the legs to get past them. And I think he'd taken yeah. one off you, taken one off him, and it was yeah. all down to the last sprint. They were on equal points. And I can remember screaming at the top of my voice that you just can't let him get past you. Yeah. And Bobbin was still in the mix, and he shouldn't have been because Chris uh, <laughs> Warrell, he was told to get off the track. Age of your got squashed yeah. I think in the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was there. He, he, was, he was trying to do a job bit. for Mark. But, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, yeah, I remember myself as well. It's kind of sometimes in a race when it's like all or nothing. If you're coming down to the final sprint, it's kind of like one moment you messed up. But I think with a point race, because you're like chipping away constantly, that was kind of like the final piece of like the whole race where it wasn't just like all or nothing or messed up. Oh, that's the end of it. It was because you knew you'd put yourself in that position. You had like a lot to lose almost because okay, yeah. you're, you're, you're in like touching distance because you've already done the hard work basically. Mm. Um, so I remember that. Did feel a bit of pressure actually going in the last, last sprint more so than, than a lot of other races. So, at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I, I can remember crossing the line. It was a lot of it was relief, really. And right. I'd like managed to secure it, definitely. Mm. That must be a, was great something times. amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What do you recall then when it just going crazy then when it ended? Well, mainly for Mark yeah. because, you know, you're there to try and, you know, you just you just want it to work, don't you? It's, it's nothing to do with me, really. He's got he'll have the memories of winning that medal for the rest of his life, and um, yeah, and 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 it works. When a plan works, it's just fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it could have easily just gone a tire width the other way, and of your fourth, yeah. you're basically at Commonwealth level, you're the first best loser, yeah, aren't you? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but he's a pretty big guy, Burgess. But I think that's the first time, of, oh, only time I've ever seen him cry. <laughs> I, think it, oh, I don't know. I should that. have been there four years earlier. Oh, yeah. 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 I was one gold. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm an emotional wreck sometimes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what? I think what I hadn't realised again. I'm not watching, but you were sick from the scratch race. That that was that after yeah. the point race. Yeah, it was actually. Yeah, yeah. Right. that must be now. That must be that must be good to then go into. You've kind of obviously achieved something massive that. I don't know whether the pressure's off, if that's quite mm. the right term, but yeah, uh, you can go in maybe a bit more relaxed. Yeah, I think it was, if uh, I remember right. I think I think for me as well, the scratch probably wasn't the 
I think the punch is my better chance, I think. Yeah. Um, like I say, that's more where it comes down to one big sprint at the end. And, um, you know, unless you're going to like gain a lap earlier on or something, like with only a couple of you, it was probably going to not suit me as well. Um, but like you say, it was a case of having that medal under the belt already and then just going into the race, nothing to lose, seeing what we could do. Um, and how drunk was everyone at the after party at the end? No, we don't. Uh, we don't yeah. drink. Don't drink. <laughs> You're athletes. I yeah. don't remember. I've <laughs> <laughs> been to a few uh, last minute things with Mark over the years. We won't talk about them either. <laughs> <laughs> so did you then fly back to, to the GB after that? Or was it because it ended? It'd be October, so it's yeah. just time for my home. It was back home after that, yeah. yeah. That was another nice thing about it as well. It was the end of the season. So it was sort of the road season had finished and it was like, that was sort of bolted on as like an add-on to the end of the season, really. So it was perfect timing. Um, yeah, it was it was really nice. It was just sort of off season after that back home, and then you went into eleven uh, with Amp Post. Is that right? It's still with the GB Academy in oh, twenty eleven, right. okay. and Amp Post was twenty twelve. Right. Okay. Yeah. And how did that come about? That ride? Uh, that was basically they were they had a bit of a link with the BC program at the time, so they were sort of like you know a couple of riders. I think it was maybe like one or two a year that come out of like the academy and go over there for racing in Belgium basically and having like the experience of being able to get in some of the bigger races with the Ampost team because at the time they were doing a lot of the big classics and stuff in Belgium, right. Kern, Brussels, Kern and Het Newsblad and they had a really good program actually. Um, so yeah, that was like, looking back, Belgium, it's, it doesn't really suit me best as a rider and it's not really what I've ever been into. So when I look back at that decision to go to Belgium under that team, probably like regret it a little bit. Um, you know, I definitely prefer sort of hillier races and right. different style of racing really. But um, no, that was sort of opportunity that come up at the time. And I was still on the BC program officially as well. So it was kind of, I would do some of the Belgian stuff, live in Belgium out there, but I'd still had the chance to come back to race with GB as well. Right. So it was, you were trying to find like, yeah, so you'd have like the balance of the two, still running the track side as well. Oh yeah, so the GB was just track stuff, was it? Yeah, pretty, well, no, no, you'd have, um, they had like a base out in Italy at the time, right. but then when it went back to, um, it, it was in Manchester for I think it was my third year on the on the thing. They got done away with the Italy thing, came back to the UK full time, and um, so rather than living in the UK, it was like living in Belgium, right. race around post, um, yeah, which obviously is like massive opportunities now as well. But I think just the whole living and racing out in Belgium didn't suit me at all. Even like the training side of things, it's like the neat the terrain out there is completely different to what we used to here and the form started the season okay his form just gradually went like slowly downhill right. eventually um and is that what i mean so you don't like it why does the form drop because the motivation drops because yeah it's, it's just not it's working. probably a bit of both really and as as the form starts to drop when you, you go into these races not getting what you want out of them then like the head goes a little bit as well. Yeah. And then when the head goes, the form goes even yeah. more. And then it's just like catch 22 then. It's just so like- So racing out there is flat, fast in the gutter type of- Yeah. Diff- lumpier. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, even now, if I go, <clears throat> recent years, if I do go back to Belgium, that I quite like doing it as a race, like getting stuck in and then leaving again. But it's when you're like living there and you're doing like, you do a race. And then I remember like going back home once and I was in the airport coming I think we'd, we'd actually gone to another race in Portugal or something and there was this guy at the conveyor belt waiting for his bag one of my teammates and he's like oh I can't wait I want to get going where the bags want to get home and I was stood there thinking I'm like I'm going back to this dingy house it basically was in Belgium thinking I'm in no rush to get home yeah. at all like do you know what I mean and I was thinking like 
that's my life like day to day all the time. I'm thinking I could be studying all night for it. It doesn't make any difference yeah, right, to me. Yeah, like yeah. I'm not in a hurry to get home at all. They're like, no, obviously when you come back to Yale, man, you're like, it's the same. You can't wait. And um, yeah, I suppose that's just the experience that you get of like living away really in, in Europe and different country, different language. And yeah, like I say, the, the accommodation we were in at the time wasn't uh, five star, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Make Delhi look nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, so again, we're going to skip through because we want to get onto the Giro. But uh, again, something else I know we're there in fourteen riding the Madison with Owen Duel. Again, a guy that's that's a, a sky now. So uh, obviously, you're still doing track stuff at this time as well. Was your was your long term plan? I think it is usually to go on the road full time. I think I've always enjoyed the road, probably overall more the like. Like we say about the commies and like these world champions stuff, world championships, that's like, you know, love it, love getting stuck into the race and that's great, like a big event. But the day to day of training, the track, the do, going into the velodrome, sitting in like the track center, like going up doing five, 10 minute effort or doing whatever work you do and then coming back sitting in the track center. I've, all, I've never really enjoyed that side of it much at all. Um, and I think like the road, like day to day, 100% have always preferred it more. Mm. I think 2014 actually was, I'd gone back to the track just after the Glasgow Commie Games actually, because I'd left the track, just gone on, on the road for a couple of years. And after I did the Glasgow Commies, I'd gone, gone well. I think I went up, maybe got a fourth there in the scratch race. And I, this offer came back from BC basically said, you want to come back and do the track again and I was I remember being in two minds and I was weighing up for ages it was 50-50 and I just thought you've got the chance to like go to the Olympics there by going back on the track mm-hmm. and I thought yeah I've got to just give it another shot basically and try it and so I went back into that that was the senior program did another maybe a year or so with them year two mm-hmm. and then I uh, went back to the road full time after that again then right okay the uh and that's is that when Wiggins came about to go on the road to race on the road? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was uh, must have been twenty fifteen. I think that team started, and that was to sort of accommodate preparation for the Olympics, really, to be able to tie in sort of the road side of things. But to using that as training, pretty much building up to the Olympics. Um, yeah, and the same time getting like big opportunities to race in some really good races. But now it was really good. I mean, I still like that London Mar- uh, the Madison that won my duel. That was like one of the like really nice uh, results actually it was yeah. I think that was part like the atmosphere at the time as well I think like British Cycling was on a massive high it yeah. was just after the 2012 yeah, Olympics course, yeah. it was probably the height really of British Cycling in terms of the success and also I think like the fans and the public getting like really behind the sport and obviously you had like Brad Wings who just went next level like superstar and it was getting like a lot of attention and yeah that was like I still remember that race really well actually it was like the atmosphere in there, just with the full house, the crowd was just electric. Nervous with those crowds? Did they ever bother you? Uh, not, not too really much, no. Bad. Just sort of think what you focus on the race, really, and what you're doing. So and make it hard to communicate if you're slinging up. Madison's a sling one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Slinging, does it make it hard to communicate? Uh, not too much, no. no. When, you, when you're that close, no. you, yeah. You, the little chance you do get to communicate, it was, <laughs> so I think it was all right, if I remember. Yeah. So in that that event where you slept, I'm not kind of watching it. Is it is it kind of set? You do we do two laps or whatever the number is. Is that kind of the consistent pattern in that race? More or less, yeah. It tends and if to you be need a longer break. You have to communicate that. Yeah, um, the odd time. Yeah, someone might like skip coming in or something, which is like <laughs> leaves the mate hanging a bit. Uh, right, right, right. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a bit of a no no. But I think yeah, it's. <laughs> 
generally it's frenetic, like two laps. Because obviously mm. people swimming yeah. all over the place. Exactly. And I think it's a bit like the point race where you're scoring points every 20 laps it is in the Madison. And the only time, you sort of time when you come in to change as well. So that's the only time where you might do like two and a half or three laps okay. because you're timing it to come in a lap before the sprint. And um, yeah. yeah right. And I mean, some of the teams, some of the teams have a, a more dominant sprinter, don't they? So... Yeah. yeah, if you look at Wiggins and, and Cav, for example, shine an example of a, of, a, of an elite double. I mean, Wiggins is super fast, isn't he? Yeah. If he's going to take a lap, he'd be the one to to get that going at the start. But if you're throwing somebody in for a sprint, it, you know, you're if it's really close, it'd be you're ideal to throw Cav in, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, so mentioning Cav, go back to the the. I'm sure you competed with him a number of times back in 2010. Say at Delhi, he's gone on a world world stage. Uh, What's the experience like to then? Because oh, I suppose ultimately he's just a friend, isn't he, and a mate. Mm. But to have, I presume, more attention around the team. I presume you're aware of that when he rocks up. Uh, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, <laughs> really, I, th- I think that probably is the only time I've raced with him. Actually, right. um, he wasn't in Glasgow because he was injured. injured or yeah, 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 something, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, so yeah. crashing the tour, I think. I mean, was that the wrong? I think. I think sometimes what's nice about Cav, uh, well, it is and it isn't. Cav takes a few days to come down off being a piece of media meat, really, for want of a better term, is yeah. the Mark Cavendish yeah. stage winner, so on and so forth. But it takes him about two or three days to come down to our level, and then he's just crazy, yeah, isn't he? That's the thing. It's great fun. It's the same coming back to his roots as well, I guess, and just settling back into, like, you know, yeah, being our team, our man, and, yeah, I think he loves it as well. <laughs> yeah, he does. One thing I'll, I, I know we touched on it earlier on, didn't we? One thing I'll, I'll never forget about Cav is when we have the meeting before, and he was telling everybody, right, we move around this peloton as a team, a big, solid, golden red team. We are dominant. We're a force to be reckoned with. And, and some of the lads are like electricians and joiners. <laughs> and yet yeah. you're up against, you know, Cameron Mayer and all the world players out there. And, uh, yeah. and yet you've just got to do, a Cav has that respect. And he just, mm. he'll say, you know, I need somebody to ride on the front and you need to be riding out there now with, with the Aussies to bring this move back. And you've just got to do it, haven't you? All of yeah. a sudden, you are just as equal as anybody in the world, mm-hmm. right? And he, he he brings that that new level of expectation to the Isle of Man when he rides, mm-hmm. and Mark does the same now. You know, mm-hmm. it's Mark's on that world stage, and um, you know, it, it, it's it's great for everybody else coming through. I think, right, in saying that, Mark. I think so. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's the same like we were saying before when you know you look ahead to the guys that are sort of doing big things or whatever. The guys that are like sort of just ahead of me, a couple of years older. And it makes it a bit more real, really. It makes it more possible, the fact that, you know, they're going out in the club run with you a couple of years ago over here. And then all of a sudden, it's just, yeah, yeah. they're in these big teams doing, you know, all these big races and that. Yeah. And then, so going back to riding for Wiggins and just talking about him in, him in general, then, is that, uh, I assume, obviously, you had interaction with him, again, as someone who just observes him from a very far distance. Uh, that must be pretty special, I would guess. Yeah, it was cool. Like I say, he was like superstar status at the time after 2012 when he he won the Olympics and it was a Tour de France first British rider and everything like that. And he was he wasn't just like big in cycling; he was big in Britain. He was like celebrity sort of status. And I remember doing a few races like Tour of Yorkshire. It was just insane. We had this little camper van, Team Wiggins. We parked next to like all these big massive buses. Yeah, <laughs> like all the sky ones and all these other ones. And the amount of people outside, there was must have been like a thousand people on a couple of days. Just absolute hordes of people just trying to get a glimpse, trying to get a photo of them. And, um, you know, he'd be in this little camper all packed in, scared to open the door. It's like right. he, was, he was just getting hassled that much. And then, um, yeah, 
it's sort of, it was crazy to see that as well because you, you think, you know, that's like one guy, but the amount of these celebrities and that, that must be getting that all the time. Yeah. So I need to realise like what it actually is to be like that. Yeah. I don't know, he's probably at a bike race, it's going to be amplified because they're all bike fans and that as well. But I think he was getting it just walking down the street at the time and just getting like, he didn't think that sort of normal life was not the same for him at the time. Um, but it's such a cool experience, definitely, to be on on a team or and something like that. Do you do you even find out then if you're on that his team, you've got Wigan jersey, and or you've just been in the Giro? Do you find that the attention is is easy enough to ignore it, or do you? You know, I always think about you know little kids are like, oh, and you kind of often you just have to go with the start of the race or whatever and ignore ignoring them, not for the want of ignoring them. Yeah, but the, there must be elements of that that must be quite difficult because you kind of want to. They're cycling fans, ultimately. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, some. I mean, if I if I'm away and I see like a Manx flag or Manx people, I always try and acknowledge it and like say yeah. hi, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think for them guys, it's like a different level. It's like impossible. The amount of like you ride with them in the peloton, even next to them, and the amount of time is gone, Brad, gone, Brad Wigan. You almost get sick of hearing it. You want to like move somewhere else in the peloton, but it's just like and then go on Mark and then you'll yeah. go over your shoulder and Cavs will be behind you. Right. <laughs> right. Forgot didn't see you there. Yeah, but, um, yeah no, it, exactly. It's just like a bit of an eye opener really to see what sort of life's like for them guys yeah. when they sort of hit that sort of stardom really. And um how how did that opportunity to go to Wiggins happen? Because yeah. when I think about, you know, our jobs are sending CVs and that, how how does it yeah. typically happen for a rider? It, is it scouting or it can be yeah. well normally it's um it is a bit like that as well with CVs going forward. But at the time, because I was all, I was on the track program, we'd sort of they said we're going to set this Wiggins team up to accommodate the track riders, so it was all automatic that you went on it really. Right. And then I did a year or so on the track with the team, and then when I dropped the track and just stuck with the road, I just continued with Wiggins. So I was already sort of on it for a full road season uh, the year after. But yeah, generally with teams, it is like get riders getting in touch with them, like CVs, mm. just sort of. Making a bit of a case for yourself, really. Do you find uh, probably not for Cal? He probably, you know, he's probably getting hammered <laughs> by the teams and stuff. You know, them yeah, can't imagine him sending the CV out, could you? Just yeah. another quick one on, on the track. Then, what's your preferred or favourite uh, discipline? Uh, it would have been the Madison, I think. Madison. Going back, yeah, that was just always always good fun. It was just there was something a bit different about it. It was always really hectic, and yeah, it was yeah, that was probably the favourite. I think team pursuit and that's a bit. It's very like drilled. You've got mm. to be so focused. You're on the start line, like really nervous. Like, and it's all like such fine margins, like split second, a lap difference. But um, yeah, Madison just like get stuck in. It was like real, real good real fun. Real racing, mm. real racing. Yeah, yeah. So seventeen, we're going to like say dig into the Giro in a minute. But you rode the Vuelta. Uh, so first Grand Tour. What were you thinking when you got picked for that? Um. Yeah, didn't that's hilly. I can't remember what I was thinking. Just exactly. tourist Spain that people don't know yeah. the Vuelta. It's the there's three Grand Tours. Of, see what's mm-hmm. on at the moment: the France, the Giro, which is Italy, which you've just come back from, yeah. and then the Vuelta being the yeah. end of season one. Yeah. No, I think with the at the time as well, <clears throat> it was the first year with Aqua Blue, so they were. It was a little bit unexpected that they even got the invite. Um. So that was like that was massive, and I think they got the confirmation early on in the year, about April sort of time. So. If, from that moment on, it was that was like the main focus really was to get selection first of all. Um, so I remember all just you know that being the be all and end all really to get a grand tour under your belt and to um, you know to get to that sort of level. So that's you know I was 
close to as high as it gets really yeah, the yeah. three grand tours and uh, amongst a few of the other races but um yeah i can remember it's just it was a mad experience like the whole thing um but yeah overall absolutely loved it it was you know especially when you look back it's like gained so much out of that three weeks but you could probably write a book and do a whole new separate podcast just on that <laughs> well or alone i think with yeah. the team these are like the the bus getting burnt down. Oh, really? Um, yeah. The the um, <laughs> stage win that we had, which then obviously got taken away a year or so later. And it was just like, there was just one thing after another in that race at the team. Oh, right. What was the stage win taken away? Uh, Someone being a naughty boy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, right. uh, Denifil. So we got, um, I don't know if you tested positive the year after, but they got, there was a big like bust up basically with the yeah. dope and it was a thing in Austria sometimes. Oh, right. and all that it was a bit, there was like six or seven of them involved. And then, um, yeah, he was part of that, right. which was mad really to think about. So it's a good, I suppose, a question I ask. And I do ask it a bit when I've spoke to a few people. It kind of feels like a, never quite a negative question. But when you look at drugs in sport, and cycling historically has been a, and I'm sure there's elements of it going on now, but obviously not something you generally see. Do people talk about it? Is it something that's talked about? If someone has a couple of amazing results, would you be with a mate going, Bit questionable. Uh, probably not so much as it used to be. I think, I think we've probably got a little bit past that now, where it's kind of like, yeah, it's a bit. I don't know. There's probably there are performances which is probably a bit skeptical, <clears throat> which people think, oh, and it almost like a bit of a joke to say that they might be up to something. But I think there's a lot more belief in the sport now. Yeah. Where I think obviously when that sort of earlier era from like 10, 15 years ago, when it was everything, it just everything hit the fan, yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. just. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. So I, I guess the couple of years after that was when there was a lot of doubts about like, yeah, yeah. oh, he's probably still doing it, still doing this. He, that's unbelievable what he's doing. But then I, I think now doping and cycling, I don't think it's cool now where it used to be part of it, it used to be part of the culture, it used to be the done thing. But now it's like for the good of the sport, all the riders just, it's not like the done, it's not, it's not cool because of the damage it does yeah, to yeah, the sport, yeah. the damage it does to, you know, a team gets a positive test now, team Sponsors. pulls a plug, yeah, plug yeah. yeah, team's gone. That's like hmm. 20 plus riders, however, doubles the amount of staff, like the amount of, it's on the line. Yeah, it's yeah. just like, yeah, you're still going to get the odd one trying it, of course. Um, but, but they have like, like in, in the finance world where we're at, we have whistleblowing policies where, you know, if someone's doing something, you've got secure secure path to go down and be comfortable to whistleblowing people do they have that in cycling uh, they're trying to grow that a little bit now they've got um like water and all the anti-doping agency they do have that sort of in place um i don't know i've never had to even yeah, think yeah, about yeah. that really i've never sort of seen anything firsthand or but there are people if you wanted to like uh anonymously sort of yeah, yeah you yeah, know yeah, give yeah. them nudge about but yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> it's a shame that it can it's just the fact that i keep bringing it up uh, it doesn't doesn't help the sport to, well, not that, well, but you know, I think I think as cyclists we all get asked that question all the time, don't yeah, we? And, yeah. You know, I, but I think we had to go through that uh, probably that decade of of addressing it. There was people dying. There was, mm. um, and I think yeah, we had to. Yeah, it looked like everybody was being caught, and it's a filthy sport. Only because we were addressing the problem, mm. testing so mm. much. I think Cav one year was tested eighty seven times in a year. You know. And a lot of other sports aren't tested. And we all know it goes on in other mm. sports, but they're not prepared to... I think they're putting the, the, the money side of the sport ahead of, of the benefits of, of cleaning the sport up. Whereas yeah. in cycling, I think, uh, and as Mark's just said now, it, it, 
the sport and your team are tarnished if, if, if anything comes up. And I think it's it's been for the the good of the sport, the good of the human side of it. Um, certainly, yeah. Yeah. So, like you say, the, the money side of it, I think that's probably what was happening in cycling as well. Yeah. And it just got to the point where it was like it, it had to go through the mud to the, come out the other side yeah. and take a big step forward, really. And um, yeah, I think the Armstrong one was a massive turning point. I think once they got him, it was kind of like it just it was a bit silly. It was like it can't go on really and the, the and it, there was something just changed I think after that where mm. it just like I say there was positive tests coming up and it just wasn't cool it was just like what an idiot like mm. if you're still trying that now like the damage that it's done to the sport I think yeah. everyone it's just yeah it wouldn't it wasn't treated the same you know yeah, yeah. and what do you remember obviously behind you there for those that can see on camera yeah old aqua blue top uh, yeah. what are your memories of that team because it folded quite quickly in the end didn't it um, yeah, did it very <laughs> within a space of about five minutes. Yeah. So I was, yeah, yeah. Um, memories of the time on the team was like, yeah, that was great. I mean, overall, great experience and like enjoyed my time on it. Definitely gave me some massive opportunities to race like a lot of the biggest races in the world. Talked about the Vuelta already. I did the world championships that year. Um, uh, Where like the age, Bastogne, the age, a few oh, big right, classics okay. like that. Um, so overall, got to be really happy, but it was just the way it ended, which was like far from ideal. Uh, I can still remember literally, it must have been a couple of days or a week before Tour of Britain, towards the end of the year in September, come down for breakfast one morning, Monday morning, sat down with porridge, phone pings. I was like, oh, it's an email through here. Just clicked on it. It was from the um, from the boss of the team at the time, Rick Delaney. And it was like, well, yeah, it's weird. You wouldn't normally like message directly. And then it was like, and attach some open, some letter that sent to all the, every member of the team, scrolling down it and thinking, God, where's this going here? This is a bit funny. And then you sort of skip to the end and it's like, that's the end of the team basically as of now. And it was just like, Oh God, like they've never had anything in my life, like just changing from one minute to the Did next. Did you finish the race or was it go well? Uh, no, oh, so this is just before the tour oh, of Britain right. started. Yeah. So we were. So that was the next question. Then it was like, well, can we at least do Tour of Britain and like give us like an opportunity to like show ourselves? Cause yeah. we're all sat here with like no team at the minute. Um, for, yeah. for the next year. And like, at that point, it's getting quite late on in the day for, for things to happen. Uh, and then yeah, that didn't happen either. They, they was like, no, nah, we're not, not even Tour of Britain. It was, that was the end of it. Was there ever a moment's thought there where you thought, what's next for me? Uh, in terms of, I said teams getting booked up anything about where you can go next really yeah I mean yeah, that was the thing I just had no idea it was it was kind of doing everything I could at the time to try and like secure a spot mm. in the team for the following year um, so that was end of 08 uh, 18 uh, 18 yeah yeah so which obviously at that time of year like I say not racing either was difficult and I was actually on the long list for the world at the time as well which were I think they were like six weeks ahead but with no racing in six weeks it was like impossible mm. to you know, totally understand the decision not to get picked. And, um, yeah, so you know, that was like everything up in the air for a couple of months after that. Till. Can I ask then at that stage when, um, you know, you're, you're getting into your late twenties, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's an uncertain future. Who knows what's around the corner? Mm -hmm. Teams are coming and going so quickly. Yeah. One thing I've always been unbelievably impressed by is your ability to stay motivated. Um, Surely it, that must be challenged at times. <laughs> Where yeah. do you get the motivation? Certainly living in the Isle of Man in the winter, which is not sometimes the easiest place to train, yeah. to still be motivated to 
knowing something will come up or hoping yeah. something and it is hoping something will come up exactly this stage, yeah i've always sort of i suppose i've never sort of lost the belief that something would eventually come <laughs> up <laughs> somehow but there's been times where like you say it has been tested but i think as far as motivation for riding the bike i've probably realized how much i enjoy the actual training side of it as well mm-hmm. and the actual day-to-day riding the bike um and you know in times of uncertainty like you're probably better off for your head exercising as well. It's probably the best yeah, thing yeah. to do for it because if you start saying, oh, I'm not going out on a bike take, I'm not motivated. At the end of the day, you just feel worse for it. I Where think, like I getting think, up and getting out on the bike. We've talked on and you've, you've interviewed a lot of people over there and your bike becomes your sanctuary to an extent, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's where you get your, your focus, your drive, your your yeah. your stability. You and know, it's yeah. that sort of feel-good factor as well and the endorphins yeah. and all that that come with it as well. And yeah. uh, as soon as you take a bit of time off the bike a couple of weeks or whatever, you, you know as a bike rider because you're so dialed into that, you miss it so much. And yeah, I think it, I'd never, I was always just sort of happy to keep the fitness, keep going, mm-hmm. keep riding and always, you know, even without knowing in certain what goals are coming up. But uh, So on that, I've always wondered, do you ever see riding as a job then? You know how we think of Monday. I've got to go into the office yeah. and work. That ability for you, you guys, where it is your job. You don't think for a race. Oh, can't, oh I, I, no, yeah. I've got to do that. All <laughs> yeah. January, yeah. Day. January, when he's sleeping yeah. outside. Exactly, yeah. five hours. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Just say, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I say. Like, yeah, overall, love the day-to-day training of it. But, yeah, good days and bad days, definitely. There's yeah. the odd, there are a few days when you'd rather not. But, um, yeah, that's like anything. But I think overall, I think staring sort of, staring that in the face as well of being, like, not choosing to stop as well. Mm. It's like a different feeling because, you know, if guys get towards the end of the career or whatever and they think, oh, you know what, I've had enough of this and they decide they want to stop. Um, I was never, I never sort of felt, um, I've had enough of this sport and I, you know I'm, I'm sick of training or I'm sick of going to races or anything like that it was just it wasn't my choice that it just got stopped all of a sudden out of nowhere mm-hmm. so I never sort of had that feeling that I was quite finished with the sport yeah. I always sort of felt like I had a little bit more in me um, part of that I, again as an observer and not, not knowing you super well but you obviously seem super laid back pretty laid back person anyway which then just takes me back six months to the middle of 2018 at the Tour of Swiss when I read some quotes online where you were perhaps slightly more uh, annoyed than perhaps you normally would be <laughs> yeah. after the game fell off. Yeah, that was, um, yeah, Tour de Switzerland. So we'd had a year on these bikes. We'd had one bike chain ring. So that's a front chain ring on bikes where people will have, you know, the double chain ring. It was fashion coming in then to start trying to save weight, I guess, was probably the primary thing, yeah. just to have a single chain ring on the front. But then you've got no what they call a front neck for those that kind of holds the chain on and switches it. Obviously, if you've got no need to switch, you don't need the front neck, which is more weight. So you're on that, that single big, chain ring. Yeah, exactly. And these bikes, basically, they got sold to the team as like this innovation. It was a new breakthrough. This was going to be the future, um, which like the owner sort of bought, obviously, bought into the idea there was issues with them bikes from day one and it was things that we were getting on the training camp then for early races in February, March, they were like, oh, what can we do about these issues? They were trying to get to the bottom of it. They were changing certain things. We were getting into like April, May and we're getting the same problems. Then June was Tour Swiss, um, had some really good form. And the day that we're talking about was, I think it was like stage four or five, maybe earliest, middle one of the middle stages. I was in a breakaway of like 20 odd guys. We went over the first HC climb and then we was down to about 
12 of us maybe. So HC again, hope category, biggest, you know, a Swiss. Make the mountain look like a, a flat pan road type of thing <laughs> for those that aren't cyclists. Yeah, big, big mountain. Um, so we went over that, dropped a few guys, we're down to 12 of us, did another climb the same size. And um, we was down to like seven of us in the front group. Down the other side of that, it was basically flat to the finish. Um, just like a short climb towards the end. So perfect position. The break was going to stay away. At worst, like a top seven uh, place. And then sure enough, chain falls off when I've got like 15k to go. So I was, um, yeah, saw red for that one because it was just these issues. It was going to, we were having them in races, but it was going to catch someone out at some point at the wrong time in the race. And although, you know, if you're, 10k into the race at the start you stop put your chain back on or change your bike or whatever get going again no issue but you know that was like a race winning position or you know to get a decent result at least um and yeah. good legs that day is what i read yeah saying, uh, exactly yeah from the and then i think what happened across the finish line and uh someone from cycling news stuck a microphone under my nose before i had a chance <laughs> to gather my thoughts and uh <laughs> Yeah, I just told told them what I thought really yeah, of the bike yeah. and the, on the issues we'd been having. So, yeah, it was one of them that just brewed up over time. Did you get a bit of a, like, cause I assume the bikes are with the sponsor, did you get a bit of a slap on the wrist after? For- <sighs> so not really, because I think the whole... Because it's factually correct. Would, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That was the thing. I, I, I was lucky that everyone was they were kind of on my side with it, really. Yeah, and yeah. I think by that time, there was a little bit of tension between the bike sponsor and the team anyway, because these issues were coming from all the riders yeah, and yeah. even the staff and the management we're going to this company saying like we need to address this and we weren't really getting to the bottom of it and um yeah i think everyone could sort of understand my anger a little bit really yeah, yeah. and you won the tour of the, the king of the mountains in that yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean that was obviously a, a definitely a nice bonus to come away with that in the end and salvage yeah, yeah. something from the race definitely bit of a silver lining you're pretty good up there so actually mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, spare one. yeah. <laughs> so so the we talked earlier about the aqua uh, ending, then kind of suppose is it nineteen? What were you? Uh, was that COVID year? No, no uh, twenty was yeah, COVID, right. wasn't it? Yeah. So what what kind of what was next then? Matt talked about that motivation to carry on training after the aqua opportunity. Yeah. So do you have a three key three year contract with them? Uh, you no, I was signed for the next year oh she had a contract there. Was, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I settled. so that was another thing it wasn't like i was looking at any other teams before that yeah. or anything or anything had anything going it was just like out of nowhere um yeah all sort of set for the next year but um yeah but, so then it was like ended up going back to wiggins the previous team which you know really grateful for them it was a good opportunity to be able to you know accommodate me they're more of a development team now so I think they maybe saw me coming in as a bit more of an experienced rider, help the younger riders a little bit. And it would also give me the opportunity to do sort of tour of Yorkshire, tour of Britain, the national champs. Um, so a good opportunity to sort of show myself a little bit then as well. And did you feel being, I guess, some of the other team, I can't use the word younger, but younger than you, did you feel you, the, uh, a leader in there and with your experience that... Yeah, a little bit, you yeah. You show that to the others as well. Uh, a bit, yeah, but probably just sort of going about your business really in right. races and, and doing as you sort of normally would. Um, yeah, I've never sort of, I never wanted to put on to them or the riders anything really, but I'm happy, like they would always ask me questions and that and, you know, obviously happy to sort of give advice or anything like that if they were after it. But, you know, they were always asking about the Grand Tour and asking right. about like, what's it like, these races? Because he's like the younger riders coming through mm-hmm. sort of like dreaming about that level. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I never sort of felt any extra pressure or anything like that. 
So, uh, and then, then again, the COVID times and I know you raced with Canyon. Uh, I don't know how much with COVID racing went on. Uh, but we touched on before we came on air there, the uh, opportunity that then came around. Maybe you could go through that story again because it's a good story for the team you're on now, how that came about. Yeah, so, yeah, going back to the Canyon, it was Canyon team. That was, um, we had a good calendar planned for that year for 2020 and it was literally like, couple of days before I was going to leave for the first race of the year. Uh, I was starting a little bit later in March. There was this COVID thing escalating. It was getting big by bit. And then eventually, yeah, every race in Europe got cancelled. It was like, world just sort of ground to a halt. Um, Can I just scratch that earlier conversation about that kind of luck or un- unlucky we were talking about in your situation and talk about the Aqua Blue and then here's another opportunity. And that's, yeah. as the observers, you see yeah. these kind of, unlucky what seems to be unlucky things going on yeah one one after another definitely because <clears throat> yeah. that's the thing when you already sort of have gone back to like continental level to try and get back out again and you're thinking oh, i've got like a nice calendar lined up you know planning your sort of year ahead and then yeah that was all stopped then but obviously there was yeah bigger problems than, than just mine but um there was that all came to a halt so i was very limited racing that year I had one one day race in monvon two in august which obviously isn't ideal when it's the only race you just like stepping into the unknown a little bit and just sort of doing what you can and I crashed twice in that race as well <laughs> so um that wasn't ideal got to the end of the year and it was almost sort of I was happy to sort of stay with that team again I, I wasn't really thinking I'd done enough to step back up again I, I thought I haven't had any racing so no one's going to be looking at me I haven't really got like anything to add to a CV to sort of say you know to 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 other teams but I guess um, yeah, I was really fortunate actually. I was talking to you about it before. Swifty, Ben Swift over here was in touch with me about um, getting in touch with Sean Yates, who he thought was actually a French team at the time. Um, he got in touch just to recommend me basically. Um, and then he said, well, actually, I'm not with this French team anymore, but I'm with another team that's getting set up for next year. Uh, so he said, oh, I'll send you details and CV to this, um, this address or whatever. And it really escalated quite quickly from there and a couple of conversations with Sean and uh, next thing I found a spot on, on this team which yeah. at, the team, at the time I didn't really know much about either and it was only through speaking with him that I knew sort of what they were planning. So talk a bit about that team, who's behind it, what's the story to that team? So they were a continental team uh, last year as well, like a, a Spanish registered team, uh, more sort of development as well but then this sponsor come in, this Italian sponsor and they've added to it and basically took it up a level to pro level. Um, that's, yeah, b- behind it, we've got like Ivan Basso, Alberto Contador, uh, and a lot of other sort of ex-pros really around that kind of generation. Yeah. Uh, Sean Yates was DS for them riders as well back in the day. So that's where he sort of fit into the team really well. Yeah. Um, did you make Sean before that? Did you know him before? No, I didn't no. really know him no. at all, to be honest. So no, that was, yeah, it was really cool. I and mean, I think he's, like yeah, he's spot on, Sean. He's out. He's he's really like he's out. He's happy for everyone to get the best out of themselves, and he really wants the best for everyone. And he's yeah. um, now he's a massive help, like sort of getting me a spot onto the team. Like I say, hadn't raced that year, so plus they were sort of basing off what I'd done previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I I was able to sort of show some sort of training files and that sort of thing as well to sort of show that I had sort of still been moving yeah. forward and still been keeping my head down, training, working hard to still try and progress. So So on that training point, before we get onto that, we were chatting before about Sean, probably Gary and I showing our age that we remember him racing. And again, those watching, Matt probably doesn't recognise it, but an old jersey that Sean, well, not Sean raced him, but team he raced for back in the 
80s when those colours were fashionable. <laughs> Coming back in now. Yeah, in fact, do you feel it? it's like war? Yeah, it's like war on the inside. It's yeah, yeah. even from almost from that era. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's DS for Sky, in, 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 mm-hmm. you know, so obviously a massive amount of experience to then have in your ear as well, I guess, out on the road. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, got a lot of faith in what he says. Like you say, he's been there and done it as a rider and a DS. Um, I think he's won Giro and Tour de France and that as well. So yeah, yeah he's, he's got no for better. Yeah. The, uh, you mentioned now on training, have you ever had coaches? Is that something of you always looked after yourself? Yeah, always. Uh, there's been times when I've had my own, I've been doing it myself, but uh, most of the time I had a coach, especially right. with Aqua Blue. And um, yeah, I had a, another coach with, I think I'd started with Wiggins doing my own thing and then a couple of months into that year and had a new coach who I was with for the year with Wiggins and then Canyon. And then um, it's all like in house now with this team. So right. a new coach, Carlos Bredo. Oh, right. So I was going to ask, is it, is the riders expected if they want a coach, find their own? Because they say like someone like, I appreciate that word, he's a 42 now and <laughs> got so much experience, but m- most have coaches, but they're not supplied by, typically provided by the team. They have their own coach. No, they're, um, yeah, uh, sometimes, it, sometimes teams like it all in house and some they're quite happy to sort of have a rider have their own coach like say more experienced riders certainly they're probably if that's what's worked for them they're happy to carry yeah. on with that I think it's getting more sort of in-house now I think as like certainly in recent years it's easier to sort of know what each rider's doing and like the team can have a meeting like once a week once every two weeks where they sort of talk about a rider and straight away the coach is in that meeting knows exactly what that yeah. rider's up to how he's going like what issues he's got whatever's going on whereas if you've got a coach outside the loop somewhere else you haven't quite got that sort of day-to-day yeah. uh, information and that sort of tighter connection so um yeah like i think it works really well haven't it so it's a lot of structured training every day basically yeah, right. yeah 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 it's here's what i'm doing today and you got to go out and do it yeah literally, do you do yeah. much on swift and stuff like that uh not so much no i always prefer the, the road yeah, i've yeah. dabbled with it a little bit in the past but i've never i've never talked to it to be honest no. i've always i'd even turbo training, I don't mind doing like turbo sessions and some work on there, but I don't know. I've never really been that bothered about Zwift itself. Yeah, no, I don't know why I've always got that impression that you've never been a. No. <laughs> we'll see you out on the road. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wind, rain, sleet, or shine. Yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. That must be sometimes hard here in the winter, I guess, if they're, they've got penciled in a you know, five hour session. You're like, do you know where I live? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's January yeah. and sleeting and. Yeah, it's, I was trying to explain that a few times actually this <laughs> this winter, but because why haven't you done your ride? Yeah, so, but yeah. a lot of the time in like Spain, like he's living in Spain, it's you know say it's like sunny a couple of days in a row, and then you check the weather forecast, raining, and then it rains heavy for a day, and then the next day it's back sun again. But like here, you wake up in the morning, see the forecast, and it can be something completely different in three hours' time mm-hmm. to what you've like to to what they've planned. But even like. Train, even like you go to bed the night before and you look at the forecast say oh there's a chance of ice in the morning right. but like one degree either way mm. and it could be like sheet ice white when you get up or there's nothing yeah. so I was trying to say like he's trying to plan the training ahead and I'm like even though the plan's in place I'm saying I might have to like adjust it close to the time but you couldn't really understand the fact that like you check the weather forecast yeah, right. and see what it is yeah, but yeah. I'm like you know I mean, the ice that I woke up with here wasn't on the forecast. I cannot ride a yeah, bike yeah, in it, you know right. what I mean? So Just bring him over for January. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Understand, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So when you joined the team, uh, did you talk to them about 
your goals or, or in team situations like that, is it more like as a team, this is what we're trying to achieve and this is where we see you plugging into it? Or do you have much input to... Uh, a bit of both, yeah. Um, they sort of pencil in the programme early on in the year, like sort of on the first training camp. They say like the overall sort of team programme and then they say that this is the sort of plan, like your sort of programme, where you're going to fit into that. Um, you know, if there was anything specific that you weren't they hadn't put you in for that you wanted to do you could maybe talk to them about that or just sort of say where you wanted to adjust it a little bit was zero on that discussion early doors for you yeah it, yeah it was. the team gets picked exactly yeah. yeah from the start and i think um yeah the if they sort of ran it like a long list basically and they said like although the actual final selection won't be done until close to the time you're in the mix basically mm-hmm. and um do you find yourself because historically i suppose you've performed really really well in quite hilly stage races that it seems to be your forte is your little niche you find you find in there, yeah, isn't it? I think so, so with it with the likes of the Giro and uh, and maybe even Vuelta, these these races that you're gonna be in the mix with that, aren't you? In fact they, would they be looking at you as a because you're not and this is not disrespectful, you're not twenty one. Mm. So you but you do bring a whole load of experience to that yeah. team. So would they look at you in like a road captain type of role, uh, you think? Certain or? times, yeah. I mean <clears throat> The way this team ran this year was a lot of it was like breakaway focused as well. So it was right. kind of more, we sort of knew that was the best chance for us to get results in these like big, big races. And it was also new team at that level. It was about exposure and you're doing yeah, these yeah. Italian races. They want yeah. someone on the TV all day. Um, so yeah, in terms of like day to day stages, it was more like, well, this stage suits you more mm. you target getting in the break that day or like maybe three of you or something mm. then like the next day it'd be like the sprinter or the guys like better off on the flat then we say you know them guys more yeah. focused for that I, I wanted to sort of touch on that a little bit really just just the amount of effort that it takes to, to get in the mood that, that goes because it's hard mm. for the punter out there who doesn't ride at this level you know me included all of us to, to have a, an understanding of how difficult it is to get in the breakaway that actually sticks yeah. and goes. I mean, it must be one after the other it after can the other be, from yeah. the drop of the flag. Yeah, there's certain stages when you're lucky and it's the first move that goes, but more often than not, it's the first, it can be up to an hour of like flat out racing where, especially when you get sort of later on into the Grand Tours, midway through, GC settle down a little bit. Everyone knows there's an opportunity to be in the break and it's realistic chance it'll actually stay away. So you've got like a small portion of the pellet on that don't want to go in the break and you've got like 60, 78% of it that do. And it's just like, like you say, it's relentless, like nonstop. You won't, in a way, you've almost got to think about getting in the breakaway as your finish line at first. And then once you've achieved that, then think about the next part of it. It's almost just, yeah, um, you've got to, there's definitely a knack to it and some riders like sort of better than others sniffing out the right move and doing the right stuff to make give themselves the best chance of getting in the break. But um sometimes it comes down to luck as well. You sort there's times in the past where you, you sit back a little bit and there's nine moves go and then you don't want really to do anything and then the tenth move goes, you go with it and it's gone. And you think, Oh, I've got a bit lucky here, like I don't know how I've managed it. Then other times you're the guy that's gone with nine moves and you look at your mate who hasn't done anything <laughs> and he goes and you're like, Oh, Mess that one up, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. And you're kicking yourself a bit, but that element of luck a little bit that comes down to it. But um, it was one of them in the, watching the gym. I'm sure it was the gym, yeah, because it was one of those. It was kind of maybe the start of the second week, and it was an hour of it looked flat out for an hour, the yeah. break trying to go away constantly, yeah. constantly. That's it. And I and think the break now, when they were on their limit as well, and then then they get caught again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And now nowadays you see the full stage a lot more than they ever mm-hmm. used to. Mm-hmm. I think they used to just put the TV on like the last hour or two of the stage, but so you wouldn't really see that part of the race. But now the you generally like you see the whole stage from start to finish now. So for the fans and stuff watching, you can like see a lot more that mm-hmm. yeah, you're you can be on your limit and in the red at the start thinking you've got like four or five hours to go after this and you haven't yeah. it's so and, early and I on. Suppose the race. That's why, I suppose that's why the focus is to get your get your team in that on all over TV because it's now on TV mm. the whole race. Exactly, yeah. So you need that exposure, don't yeah, you? Yeah, so definitely. Exactly. Imagine that going into work on Monday morning, Martin, and uh, your boss telling you, right, flat out now, yeah, go, go, yeah, go, yeah, go, yeah. go, 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 yeah, go. Uh, <laughs> I'm like that every day. Oh, well, well, <laughs> yeah, well, I thought that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the phone call that, that you get a phone call, I assume, do you, to say you're on the team? For the Giro. Uh, for the Giro, so, yeah. yeah. That went, it was quite late as well, actually, the final, final selection. Like I said, the, the um the long list was sort of made early on in the year, so you knew you're in the hat, but then that got narrowed down to like nine, ten guys right up to like a week or two before it. So that was kind of weird that you're kind of focusing on something, but you've got this niggling little thing and well, it still might not get selected yet. I was sort of confident that I would, but um yeah, it was only sort of a week or so before it that the no, final decision long, was made. No. Not really. No, and I think a lot of teams have to do it as well and to they'll keep an extra ride or two because you never know if someone has a crash the week before gets sick any sort of injury you need someone to step in as well um but yeah it was i was away before anyway and yeah it's like a, a phone call or i think maybe sean texts me or something what do you feel when you've when you've get the nod you know uh, that you that you're in you're definitely going you're in the team i i try and relate it to even at the 11th hour cav being included in the in the tour yeah yeah you know, what he was thinking would yeah. he would he ever ride the tour again and yeah. the next minute bang he's in it you get the text what? and you think damn i've got a hard three weeks out now. <laughs> <laughs> what have i done <laughs> oh, no. but um yeah yeah no that was like relief really because like i say i was quite confident that i probably would get selected but you just never know at all. Um, you know, there's a lot of Italian riders on the team as well. And then I think the team were quite keen to get a lot of Italian riders in there as well for, again, that media attention as well. So didn't quite know up until the 11th hour. Um, but then, then yeah, it was just sort of full steam ahead after that when you get the full final nod. A week to go must be time to taper. I see him on the trainer. Yeah, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you arrive and then presentation. I mean, I'd imagine obviously Italian very passionate about their cycling that getting presented in front of thousands of people and that must be an experience within itself. Yeah. And I presume it's also then about not getting too emotionally because you've got to rest, you've got to, you know, everything's about recovery, yeah, I guess. Yeah. So I think you always just got to think of it as another race really as right. much as possible. Um, try and just focus on what you've got to do and like, yeah, treat it like any other race because I think ultimately whatever race you're at, you're trying to do your best, trying to get the best out of yourself or whatever, do the best for the team. And uh, yeah, it's just like doing sort of your job on the day, really. And is it, I mean, we'll go into kind of the stages, but it's before you start, is there a general team you talked about there that earlier about the season is about getting in breaks, getting in, was that the kind of thing at the start of that, start of the tour of going, all right, focus here is to try and get in, get in some breaks? Yeah, 100%. Um, we haven't think, got a sprinter, I presume you didn't. Do you have a sprinter? Not, not, not an out and out sprinter. Yeah. I mean, we, we had, um, who's a guy who got a couple of top tens, which obviously really yeah, good result yeah. in itself. Um, but in terms of like winning a stage, it was best bet was to be in the breakaways 100%. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously with that, you get the exposure as well. Uh, I think, you know, we didn't have like a massive name who was going to be like a guarantee to be up there in GC so, yeah, or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was no yeah, Exactly. Okay. So I always think like, so 
let's stick into the stages. So the, the prologue, it's pretty short. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, I, if it was me, I'd just be like, I don't really need to warm up. I'll just rock down and, and, and bomb <laughs> around for 8K because, again, you haven't got GC ambitions. It's just about getting around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I assume everything's still meticulous in that preparation and warming yeah. up and riding. It's not a... Yeah, you take it... I mean, I mean, it's it's almost a good training thing as well, right. even just to do like a massive effort and to right. get... And it sort of gets you into the race as well. It's kind of like you, you focus on it. You get... Even though you know, you know, it's not not going to win or anything like that it's kind of like you're still trying to like do your best a little bit at that early stage of the race to um you know just to get off into a good positive start really and like like i say open the taps up you've sort of tapered into the race a little bit so it's it's like a big effort really as to to open things up again um do you look at your time compared to others when you finish that would you look at a gt standing and go where am i what uh, yeah i had a look yeah but like i say it wasn't like a main focus going into it um yeah we, we sort of like did what we could and you you sort of yeah you you get it's like getting the ball rolling with the whole race as well i think it was nice to start with the prologue and you've seen the tour stage yesterday the carnage there with the first <laughs> stage of the tour it's kind of the nervous stages on in the early stages of the race where a prologue sort of gives it a little bit of order as well so you've got like a pink jersey okay, yeah, you've yeah. got a guy the team that are going to control it and it just gives it a bit more less stress i guess but um when you roll around on the next day when the roll around and uh, in that case, Garner's in pink. Do, do riders, you know, I presume he's not a personal friend, do you, mm. do you tend to give him a nod, say, well done, is that type of thing? And Can do, on? yeah. More, yeah, more so to the guys that I'd know a bit better, yeah. yeah. Right. yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, you get tapped to all most of the riders during the race at some stage. Um, and like, it's weird that sometimes you find yourself with a certain rider that you talk to after first stage, second stage. And you always, every time you see him, then in the bunch, you make friends with them yeah, by the right. end of the three weeks, yeah, you know, because yeah, yeah. like, here we are three weeks <clears> later and you've, yeah, you just find yourself next to him more, that, more often. Is that because you're going through the same misery? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know exactly what he's feeling and how he, uh, you know, yeah, you can yeah, yeah. what he's going yeah. through. Well, yeah. it's like kindred spirits in the end, isn't it? You, yeah. You know that you're probably going through the same set of emotions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. And he's talked to some guys that have like been there, done it before a thousand times. There's other guys that on the, Debut first gun right. tour and yeah, it's like a right range of riders in the bunch. So stage two flat. Uh, what was interesting again? I was watching the tour stage today. Something I didn't really both think about too much. Being like twenty k, they're eating, which again you just kind of suppose it is logical. Mm. But again, is that people telling you to eat in your ear? They reminding you is that something you have to think yeah, about and do? You do a bit more now, especially in recent years. It's it's so much. Everyone's so much more on it with that side of things as well. Um, it's the science of the sport and everything. Everything's just sort of lifted to the next level, really. So everything's down to a T. Um, and fueling is kind of the fueling strategy. It is kind of on the bike, vitally important. And especially when you're on stage two and you've got three weeks ahead of you, if you sort of underdo it at the start of the race in a week's time, you can like you know spiral downhill pretty mm. quickly. So you've got to be sort of on it, and at the same time not surprisingly eating too much because that way you can you can put on like a kilo or two quite quickly as well um so yeah it's a fine balance but i think on the bike you do get reminded quite a bit as well it's funny to think of it that way isn't it when you kind of fuel them for maybe a week ahead Mm. you know it's yeah yeah. because you can never afford to just get into deficit yeah i remember listening to a podcast a couple years ago when it was from the giro when that when froom did that attack and they were saying during that tour 
the guy guy who does their food on there on Sky, they were saying uh, or Ineos that he, they were, he was stripping weight during the tour. Yeah, because they had to get him lighter and lighter. Yeah, which I could just imagine. Yeah, it's crazy, like, yeah, yeah. isn't it? I mean, that, yeah, they're a team that have took it to the next level, and they're obviously on on the line with everything. They're they're so on it, and um, it is fine margins as well yeah, it, yeah. In, in them races, and and they. You've, I think for that sort of thing, you've got to be, it's quite risky as well. And you've got to really know yeah, what you're doing. You've got to be, exactly, yeah. Because yeah, you overdo it a little bit and you can put yourself in a bit of a box. But obviously they're so controlled with what they're doing. They've got the right guys behind them that really know what they're doing. So, so when you look at weight, obviously it's a massive thing in cycling. Is that something that preoccupies you a lot or not? Uh, yeah, at certain times in the year, especially uh, going into the race as well, going into the Giro, you've got an idea of, like what sort of weight it should be at. Um, Do you have to weigh yourself today, mate? Yeah. Way, yeah. We have to, yeah. And I think with this team as well, they're like Italian, Spanish, half and half. And it's they're really on it with the weight as well. Yeah. Where some some teams more than other and they've got that sort of bit of an old school approach yeah, yeah. in terms of the, the weight. Um, it's like priority really. So we yeah, pretty much every day getting weighed. Um, it like fluctuates a little bit during the year. But, you know, you've got sort of, Certainly, before the big targets, you you know what you sort of should be getting down to. Uh, so you got to be pretty honest. Do you find that hard when you're at home, sticking to that routine? Uh, at times, yeah, it's always in the back of your head. But yeah. I think now, I think I've probably got, I don't know, got into like a good routine of knowing what I need really as well. And it's it's always tempting when you're at home. It's like that's yeah. a difficult thing. But um, Jess makes some nice food at home, which <laughs> I'll just get Oops. that in there now. As a bread as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, it's it's definitely something that you got to be watching as well. Like you say, weight it's, it's really important when you're racing on these mountains. It just adds up over time. Even like one kilo more or less, it's makes such a big difference. So we talked about like digging a bit behind the scenes. So again, not necessarily from stage two, stage three particularly, but what people don't see is often there's transfers and transits from from a race. So you finish mm-hmm. a stage, presume the team bus is around. Yeah. So do you guys, I mean, do you do you do warm downs nowadays? Again, again, you see the main guys, they're sort of yeah. warmed down after stage. Is that something that, yeah, which sometimes. always, again, boggles people's minds, you're in 180K. It's like, oh, I've yeah. had enough, thanks. Exactly. Yeah, that sort of depends on the stage as well. Right. Sometimes... If you've ridden in in the peloton and like you say the race is already split, you're in a group bit and everyone's sort of riding in a bit casual, kind of you warm down yeah. anyway, really. Um, but sometimes you're like full gas up to the line and then you just stop. It's like sometimes it's good just to jump on the turbo, uh, have a cool down. Sometimes it depends on the next day as well. If you've got like the next day is like a nice easy start, you're not trying to get in the breakaway, anything like that, you can just be sat in the bunch you can sort of get away without it but if you the next day you're really focused on it and it starts uphill and you want to be in the breakaway you want to sort of your preparation Clean for that day sort of starts yeah. then as well after the finish and um yeah so some days you do sometimes you don't some days you've had a day of hell and you're like this and you come in the bus and you're like i'm not touching the turbo yeah, yeah, yeah. i've had enough i think it's a nice thing to touch on as well i think uh for more for the listeners really is that the understanding of what goes into a into a major tour, as in the size of your team. It's not just your riders, you know, your, however big your team might be for that mm-hmm. event. It's everything that goes on in the background. It's the it's the people that do the food, that do the washing, all your soigneurs, which, you know, uh, involved in probably your bottles, your rubs. Yeah. How, how many people are involved on, and say, the Giro? How, what's the size of your team there with everything that goes on in the background? Yeah, a lot. There's probably... 
probably about three or four times of amount of riders on wow. staff. There's loads, yeah. I think there's like four mechanics, five swannies maybe for massages and stuff like that. You've got media, a couple of media guys who are doing all the social media stuff and like, um, oh, the, yeah, all the DSs. You've got like three, four, five. <laughs> yeah, DSs. You've got the yeah, bus driver, the manager. There's, yeah, you bring your own chef as lot. well. Uh, we didn't actually for this. We did for when I did Vuelta. Um, yeah, I think they were confident enough in the Italian cuisine to uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. to go without for this one. But you, you hear of the uh, you know you'll go to your hotel, but they're all their staff will have been launched out of the kitchen, and your chefs yeah, yeah, and they yeah. do all the prep. Yeah, they do all the food. They know every individual rider's yeah. wants and needs. Um, yeah, one of the Swannies, his job is to basically get to the hotel before us. He like gets all the suitcases in the rooms and all that sort of stuff, and then he one of his was to contact the hotel and be in touch with them for his time to say that this is what we need this is what we have to do and all this and he just basically tells them exactly what to cook basically and then right. they do it for us which um, when you're in a grand tour like that as well you, often it's quite simple food really it's just you're seeing it as fuel and you almost want simple food as well just yeah. like you know your pasta your rice whatever yeah. some meat and not like overcomplicating stuff your stomach's taking a hammer and with all like the fuel that you've got to have anyway all the gels on the bike and that as well so you kind of you want kind of basic food anyway. And that transit maybe from the end of the stage to the hotel, you know, presuming the bus, mm. can they range from like being twenty minutes away to an hour away? Yeah, literally. Yeah, I think the longest is probably hour and a half, maybe a bit, mm. even a bit more. Um, it's shortest. Like sometimes you cross the finish line on the bike, and like our oh, hotels there, so oh, you just right. ride Woo! over on your bike, uh, and yeah. you get lucky the odd day. But um, yeah, win some, lose some. Sometimes you're on the top of a mountain, and it takes like so long for the bus to get down these twisty roads and yeah you can be on there for a good hour and a half or whatever it's just eating into recovery time yeah exactly um luckily like on the bus they're quite comfortable as well you've got like comfy seats and you've got all your food your recovery stuff on there so you can get your bus van up yeah that's it (laughs) exactly you can get um (laughs) yeah you can get your sort of recovery process on the go a little bit there anyway yeah do you do you find yourself as someone who can kind of switch off once the race is done Mm. you know Rather than start replaying the race of what's happened, thinking about tomorrow, thinking about the travel, the bed, the hotel, you know, all that sort of stuff. Or is it kind of race done, bike away, chill yeah, out? and definitely try the best to switch off because mm. I think, especially in a race that long, yeah. even when it's a week, it's like you've kind of got to switch on and off. But for three weeks, you, I think it would do you yeah, then. So like if you were too, too intense with it. So you have got to have like just sort of enjoy that time really from when you cross the finish line up till you know, before you know it, you're back on the start line again mm. the next day. So it's kind of good just to have that, like, get away from it a little bit, like, wherever that is, like, on your phone, getting music on, chatting to people at home, getting, like, watching a movie, something like that, even if, you, if you've got time. But, um, yeah, definitely best thing to mm. switch on and off, I think. And what's your go-to music? Normally, yeah, music on the bus. Um, yeah, catch. Spice skills. T- <laughs> that's it. Um and they even like British TV and that, to be honest, to get them, um, get on the laptop and just a bit of normality, just to kind of like get out of that whole race bubble mm. and that, that thing that you're in all the time. It's nice to switch off. You're not there. I was just going to say, but social things? media, looking at what's gone on over the race. Or uh, like, a little bit. You, when, as I say, no. Yeah, yeah a, little, a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes you like, you might like up. Sometimes I don't even look at the result. Like you know, some yeah. days, but then other days, you, like I would scan over the result or whatever. Or sometimes there's been like a big incident in the race or something, and there's a lot on it. Social media, like obviously follow like, certain cycling stuff on Twitter and that anyway. So mm. in a way, there's you can't get completely away from it. But um, 
yeah, he just sort of, yeah, I definitely prefer sort of branching out if there's like football on that night or something. I'll try and catch the football and, and all mm. that, just something different really away from, from the race. Mm. You'll go flicking through to the back of the GC sheet to see who's been fined. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> On the uh, Collins well. communique. Oh, yeah, what's yeah. he been up to? <laughs> Throwing rubbish in the wrong place. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All that yeah, usual. That was the big one, yeah. Um, the balls this year. Yeah, picked up a fine along the way with that, actually. How do you? <laughs> yeah. They, were, they made these... It was a bit silly, really, because they were making... Uh, the litter zone is totally behind. I think it's a great idea. But the only problem is not being like to throw a bottle. It's like you get handed a bottle from your teammate and you've got two in your bike already. Like, even if it's an empty one, where are you going to throw it? You know where to do it. And like they sort of adjusted the rule a little bit as the race went on. But at first, you get your bottle and it was just automatic to launch it. And then if you happen to be at the back, you think, oh, no, that's going to cost the team sense. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a couple of hundred quid or whatever it is. But um, yeah, if they spot I mean, it's a pity because little kids, young kids, they're just... It, once they've found a pro bottle, they, mm. they, they cherish it for the rest of their lives. Yeah, don't they? exactly. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully that will get scrapped, especially the bottle. I understand the little thing, hundred uh, yeah. percent. I think it's a great idea, but I think the bottle thing. I don't know if it's coronavirus as well. Maybe something to do with that. Uh, but yeah, it's, probably a good point. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. When you go to the race, the kids they need to ban spectators holding big banners. Really, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Looking at yesterday's crash. Oh mm-hmm. God. Yeah. I noticed in today's even the litter zone seemed to be straight after the feed zone, but it didn't look very long because people were still unpacking their musettes and the end of the feed zone was already uh, the litter zone. Mm, yeah, be, I uh, think they're still getting to grips with it really because it's yeah. like a new thing. Um, and it was crowded and, the litter zone as well, I guess, people waiting for stuff to be thrown as yeah, well. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. You would, you would think that would create panic to an extent. You know, if you're in the middle of the of the peloton and you've and you need you're gonna see some numpty trying to throw it straight out of the middle, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Happens as well. You know. Banks off the wall straight back in the middle. Yeah, yeah. That happens a lot, yeah. <laughs> I think um, <laughs> annoying. But I think the yeah, like what was you gonna say then about some girl was badly injured, wasn't she, last year with a bottle. Oh that's, yeah. That's that's a story I heard so one of the podcasts were talking about part of the reason they brought the litter zone in is to because people were doing that in the middle of it, launching it. And yeah, the girl was yeah. badly injured, hit her in the head. Mm. But I think yeah. the positioning that's going to say about the letters going to change now as well. Because well, I remember one time I got my musette, grabbed it, threw it over my neck, and it's got like two or three bottles in. It's got like a load of food, whatever. It weighs quite a bit. And I looked up straight away, and there was a climb like this. <laughs> and you're like, you're trying to get out as quick as possible to put it in, and then launch your bag quick, but. It was like literally no time to get rid of it or anything. And I just thought, oh, I only need one bottle. Took the one bottle, launched the back. And I think that's when I got called for oh. fine as well. But it's just kind of in that moment, you, you're not thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to yeah. have to save it for the litter zone. But now they won't put the feed right in front of the climb. Where you yeah, have to, right. They make that the litter zone, if you know what I mean. So I think yeah, they're just yeah. adapting the rules a little yeah. bit. And in that music, do you, do, you pick, do you get to pick what's in there or do they know what yeah, you want? Yeah, it's more, more just what they yeah, know we you. need, really. Yeah, yeah. 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 So stage four, uh, some, I don't know whether you recall the stages looking back now. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce it because my Italian's about as good as my Manx. But uh, so I made some notes here about uh, having some steep climbs in it, things like that. So days where you've got, uh, what we call them big days with climbs like that. Are people nervous about that? Certainly you're a reasonable climber, but the non-climbers, can you? Yeah. Do you kind of ride past the sprinters laughing at them? <laughs> yeah, the, we definitely get nervous about it. They're... Um... Because yeah, presumably you haven't you wrecked say, a lot of this either, or I probably think, any of it. Yeah, so you exactly, don't really, really wear, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, a lot of it's like sort of GPS stuff and that, sort of looking at the, the route beforehand. But I think, you know, for me, 
are comfortable enough on the climbs, even if I'm not trying to win the stage, if I go into a group further down the road, I can be in that group and be sort of comfortable within the limits a little bit. Whereas a sprinter, they might be hanging on to that group for grim death, like yeah, trying yeah. to not get dropped from it. But um, yeah, it's kind of, um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain really, but I think day to day, we kind of, you know what's coming up. You sort of plan ahead and with all the technology we got at the minute, you can like, you know what's, you had a good analyzer yeah, yeah. basically beforehand. And descending then, again, you won't know the descents and whatever. And I suppose there's certain Italians and locals that will. Do you know, is that different or is it matter just following wheels? And- Some guys are better than others, definitely. Oh. Yeah. Uh, like Sagan, and he's one notably. Um, sometimes, because you, you, trying to go down these descents like 90% because when you find that there's going to be one corner that's going to catch you out at some yeah. point and some guys you just think they're on another level they're just like yeah something else he's one there's a handful of riders that are like head and shoulders above everyone else it seems so did you like this is moving on later but did you have a spill later on or were you near did, did I read somewhere uh, when uh, Rem I yeah, Remco. Remco. Yeah, was were you on the floor in front of that or just yeah, on the oh, right? Okay, one, yeah, yeah. It happened in front of me, and then remember what stage that was? Uh, about quite late on, about sixteen, seventeen, yeah. maybe something like that. Yeah, around that time, end of the second week. Um, yeah, that was frustrating as well because you think the descendant, it was just you. It was only about forty guys in the group or something like that, and um, you sort of done the hard bit by getting yourself into that group over these big climbs beforehand. You had descent a little bit flat and then the last climb to the finish um and then next thing it was just a few here in front of you a few bodies on the floor mm-hmm. plowed into it and then uh, yeah I was straight over the bars sat on the sat on the backside thinking what's happened there just in the instant of like five seconds and um yeah that was disappointing but it's I mean if you're going through a three-week race the chances are you're probably gonna hit the deck at some point yeah yeah as everyone found out yeah. yesterday. You're lucky if you don't really. Yeah. But yeah. So so stage five was super flat. I presume it start the team bus that today where you're like, right, boys, we need someone in the break today. Yeah. You're testing the year. Like you say, yeah, when yeah, you think yeah. back, you, you, it all blends into one. <laughs> so the headline here is Kate Caleb U and it came down to a sprint ultimately and Caleb U won in a crash mod, in a crash mod event. Right. Uh, but yeah, I assume they're the types of flat, flat, well, not necessarily flat days, but certainly as a team, the team is get someone in the break today. Yeah. Especially we're kind of coming into a week in the tour when yeah. GC's starting to settle down. They're exactly. more likely to let a break go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think when the when you get like a big GC day early on as well, it does sort of settle the race down a little bit for these other stages. And um, I think we had, maybe had someone in the top 10 that day, actually one of the sprinters. Um, so, but yeah, it wasn't sort of everyone around him type thing. It was kind of a few guys for the breakaway. And then he was sort of, had a, one or two riders around him to sort of help him out best best he could. Yeah. Um, and that'd be helping. Is that going to get bottles for him and things like that? Yeah. And like moving them forward in the bunch, yeah. like sticking your head in the wind to move them forward and um, just helping any way you can really. Sometimes you take his jacket off or something, take his jacket for him and that, just sort of protected rider. Yeah. yeah, right. Okay. And would you collect food for, again, I know some today where some of the riders were taking two musettes and one was for the, it's called the protected rider for the day. Is that something again that will go on in the team? Yeah, it can happen. Yeah, so they don't yeah. End up it's just taking a spill. Yeah, and it's about just making life as easy as possible for the rider who's going for it, really, mm-hmm. just so we can save as much as possible for the back end of the race. And how do you pee on a bike? Yeah, I tend to, I have to stop, really. Right. Some guys can do it as they're rolling, like on a little downhill or something like that. 
um without quick but i can never get it i can never get it flowing when i do it I'm sometimes <laughs> too nervous. it's something that i need to practice really because it would help sometimes in a race because when but you, you generally when you stop it's when a lot majority of people do stop yeah right so um there's like especially an unwritten rule once a breakaway goes maybe like the leader of the race pulls in for a pee oh, right. and then everyone says oh leader stop and everyone stops yeah, right, and then you right. get half the pellet on stopping at the same time oh, right. yeah even if you don't need one yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. Squeeze something out, i'm not going to get yeah, another chance exactly <laughs> i remember we talked about him before on this podcast mr paxton and being at a race with him and he just didn't bother trying to get it out just basically just let yeah, it. yeah which is like trying to pee in a wetsuit i always imagine that's pretty hard um, <laughs> yeah yeah Levels. It's all right in the rain when you like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. smelly and dry. <laughs> so, yeah, six, six was quite a lumpy stage that Gino Marder wins. Uh, I suppose during, like, again, they talk about Italian being the beautiful race. Is there much of going on around or do you not? Uh, you know, same with the Vuelta, was there much? Yeah, you definitely get a good feel for the size of the race. There's no selfies, though, um, is there going on? No, no. That's it. But they get... Um, <laughs> Yeah, you definitely get a good good feel at the start and the, and the finish areas and like during the race, it's kind of you get a feel for how big it is. It's you know it's one of the biggest races in the world. Yeah, and yeah. Italy as a country, they're really proud of it. They really get behind it. They love it. Um, so yeah, it's quite you do get that feel of like um, you're actually in that environment. You get the feel you're at the Giro. You know, it's not quite another race. It's mm. uh, just that next level up. Yeah. Fans go mental. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Italian passion. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think um, yeah, that stage of the race as well. It was we'd had a few wet days. It had been uh, yeah, the weather the whole three weeks wasn't the best, and uh, I'd, I was getting quite ill as well. Going, which the, I don't think the weather had helped, and I was on. I ended up on antibiotics for three days towards right. the end of that first week, which kind of not a lot of people know really because when you're looking at the outside, it's you wouldn't you know you don't really see these issues that riders got i mean everyone's had like a crash little injuries here and there and like problems but yeah it was it got a hold of me this and it was on my chest and i was luckily we sort of nipped it in the bud quite quick these antibiotics but it still sort of took a lot out of me like towards the end of that week and even in the second week i never really felt myself i was i was still like you know bringing stuff up from blowing my nose all the time i was felt like 80 percent basically and i was a couple of days I was just on survival mode to get right. through really after them antibiotics it was uh, it really knocked me back but they think, must be tough days when you just kind of oh, I've got 190k to do and I'm- exactly and it, I think it's when you do that in the rain like the weather we had and then you cross the finish line you're like job done and then you check the forecast for the next day and it's the same and you're like oh you just it is a, on the head it's pretty hard but <laughs> um, yeah you just crack on with it and I think overall that probably like held me back a little bit in the first week or two where mm-hmm. I was able to like go had like good legs in the third week then and I was looking back I was probably a bit fresher in the third week because of the illness holding me back a little bit yeah, early right. on in the race overall yeah. so stage seven was uh there you're in a break in the break so what's that you've obviously made it into the break I don't know how difficult can you recall how difficult it was to it get was, in the break that I was lucky that day it was like the first move that oh, went right. really. yeah yeah okay. yeah it was I think you started stage. that move as well didn't you yeah yeah and it was it was a it was basically a guaranteed sprint and yeah, it was like, I was, they said, oh, if you're able to like get in the, in the move, obviously get a jersey in there again. They would try to, yeah, it was only three of us in the break, yeah. but yeah, fortunately enough, it wasn't one of them. Like I said, the illness was creeping in at that stage and it was like, if this isn't the first move that goes, I might struggle here because yeah, right. I can't really go in the red at all. And luckily the first move I made was like, got me in it straight away. 
And it's a conversation with, yeah, I presume you don't know the other lads before that particular thing. Is there much chat going on in the break? Um, like stop going through so hard? Or? Yeah, it can be, yeah, surprisingly. Sometimes it's um, they generally worked really well that day. There was like three guys that knew what they were doing in the, yeah. break, in the break. They had obviously done it before, these other guys. And um, sometimes you get like maybe a younger rider or something, someone who's on a bit of a different agenda that day. And it, there can be a bit of communication as to like when to put the hammer down, when to like ease off a little bit. It's often enough when you get into a break, if you have like three, four, five minutes, it's the peloton that sort of dictates it. And if you put the hammer down early and make it six minutes, they just means the peloton go faster and keep it to four or five. But if you go easy, they'll just keep it, they'll go easy and keep it at where they want, four mm. or five. And then, so if you can sort of hold back earlier on and then wait till later on and then hit it, you've given mm. yourself like a better chance, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I heard an interview or they were regurgitating uh, Thomas again, who's a breakaway specialist, talking about that. And he would, He'd mess sometimes, I think the quotes where he'd mess with the bunch, so it'd be at two minutes and then he'd go up a slow, long drag and he'd put the hammer down. The next thing it was four minutes yeah. and then he'd ease right back off That's and it, basically yeah. just play with, not yeah. play with the on, but just mess with the head, the hoping they'd make a mistake. A little bit there, yeah, yeah. Think, oh, no. yeah. And then they'd bring it back to two minutes and they'd be like, oh, they'll sit up. Yeah. And while yeah. they're sitting up, he'd then put the hammer down again and suddenly yeah. you get yeah. it. Yeah, right. yeah, so there is an art to it when you get, when you watch on TV, you just like, everyone's just kind of, Everything's yeah. under control, but there's presumably games going on all yeah, the time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's mainly about where to put the hammer down and where to where to save, really. And, yeah, yeah. And that obviously you're the focal point. Are you? We're at home watching on TV. Where the cameras are at? You just ignore them. What's the? Uh, yeah, always be one of them sticking your tongue out. Yeah, them, mean, yeah, that's when you attack and you see the camera. Yeah, like say so you, you're aware of it. You get a good feel of the atmosphere, the helicopter coming over, motorbikes around, and you know, some some of the races, it's not got the same media attention. You, it's you know, you, you feel the difference definitely going from one to another. But um, much time checks and do you get much of that? Loads, yeah, yeah. yeah right. the motorbikes constantly just yeah. uh, updating the both peloton and the, and the brake. Right. Yeah, and then your team car will come up behind yeah, you. Yeah, you've got that in the radio as well right. with the time checks and that yeah and I was feeding like right behind just stick your hand up there straight up in yeah. a couple of seconds just take a sticky bottle off them yeah exactly say. yeah and uh, that uh, d- during that whether it's three hours you're out is there ever times you creep in going this might stick uh, I think on that day uh, I'm 90% sure it wasn't going to but you've always got that possibility because you never know in, in these races it's a crash at the front of the peloton or anything and then you've just got a minute in no time like you just you never know it's always yeah. possible so you know that particular stage was I knew it was unlikely but you've always got it in the back of your head that's possible definitely so then you said you mentioned you then end up on antibiotics did you wake up in the morning and go oh, shit basically yeah you, and I, I remember going through one of the lumpier stages around that end of the week I can't remember when it was but and I would just cross the line and thought, this is going to be a long three weeks if I'm going to be right. like this, like another couple of weeks ahead. Must be, is it nice to know you're ill then in regard to that was a tough stage, you didn't quite feel right, and then you actually find out you've got a problem. It must be uh, some relief to that. Bit, yeah, yeah, exactly. It come on quite quickly. So um, I sort of knew I was straight away, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose I suppose a lot of the peloton must have been ill. There must have been a bit of illness going through because it lashed yeah. rain and yeah, it was freezing cold for... Yeah. For a week, there's only so much your body will do mm. when you're doing seven that's hours it. in the. Yeah. You know, a, a cape won't protect you, your backside and your chest. And the issue was sometimes you start the stage 
like at <clears throat> sea level and you it's 20 degrees and like you think mm-hmm. it's a really nice day and like even looking at the forecast even though you, you, like you know what's coming mm. you're into the mountains or whatever you can be half prepared for it but then some weather comes in that wasn't on the forecast and you're up, you know however many meters high and you're in your shorts and jersey and it's like a cave place say by that time it's almost too late the cold gets in you're descending in the cold which is just it gets inside you basically mm. it gets into the bones and you just there's no warming up from it really yeah, and it yeah. uh, definitely affects a lot of riders yeah, yeah it's that yeah. day after the break there's a climbing a long descent towards the finish so stuff like that I guess yeah exactly yeah I can remember that day of, uh, I've said to a few people I think that was the coldest I've ever been on a bike right. in my life which and comes like, a lot from Vanksman exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah talking about them cold Januaries and that nothing like yeah, it was. I think it was like 30k just downhill so you're not really pedaling this cold rain, it had already got into you. The wind and that, it was just, I was, I can remember my upper body just completely shaking, my arms mm. are going. I almost felt sick because I was like that cold. Yeah. I, can't, I can't explain it. It's like my breathing was going and everything. And um, yeah, and then you've crossed the finish line and like say, look at the forecast the next day. Like, oh, rain. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that next day from month after that was the, the day of the, when there was the gravel stage. So is that something right. that, Again, it's not a common uh, surface to race on. It's something that you, you were nervous about or not? Uh, probably wasn't nervous because I think for the GC guys who are got all on the line, like, you know, it, it stays like that. They can just lose the race in, in a moment. But, um, you know, for me, not going for GC, pressure's off a little bit. You can kind of like enjoy the stage a little bit more. Um, and yeah, it's not really for me, that dirt road stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't really like cobbles <laughs> and off road stuff. Like, I'm not used really to fussed about it. Yeah, exactly. But, um, no, it's just like something co- totally different. You know, Strada Bianca is such a cool race and it's nice to sort of do them roads as well. And like, um, this is quite picturesque. Yeah, exactly. Mm, yeah. yeah. No, it was ace. And, um, do you yeah, hear what's I, going on at the front during the race or do you not? Uh, sometimes, yeah, yeah. Oh. So we had a guy in the break that day as right. well, and he was close to. He was right in contention to the last couple of k, and then he actually crashed that stage, so he put himself out of it. But yeah, you're hearing that sort of going on in the race, but not really necessarily what's exactly happening. But the encouragement he's getting, or the me- the the messages that he's getting in terms of like tactical hmm. advice or anything like that. Um, yeah, you get a good idea. So when they on. communicate to one of you, you can all hear it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It's not that long ago we all had comms and we got banned even in the amateur races probably in the, around 2003 I'd say something like 2004 right. we had our own comms with the Ironman right. team for right. years. Is it not allowed an amateur then? <clears throat> no. Right. Pro races they stopped it for a bit didn't they? Um, yeah. A few years ago and then they brought them back yeah. I don't know a couple of years ago maybe. And your preference? Uh, probably prefer having them yeah. Mm. yeah. What was yeah. what was the decision in banning them? I think it was to try and make the race more exciting. Yeah, I think that was where it was a bit scripted. Mm, well, not no. scripted, but you could control it more because you yeah. could communicate to your riders. Yeah, exactly. What yeah. was going and on? I think it was when the time when sort of Sky were coming in and like lining up in front of the peloton, controlling it. And it mm. was, yeah, I think people were trying to like get away from that scripted like racing, yeah. and, uh, trying to mix it up. But I don't think it really changed much when they took it away anyway. So, mm-hmm. uh, so the the day after was kind of the day before the rest day. So we're in track, probably just finishing antibiotics, but mm-hmm. is that stage before a rest day something that is quite an exciting day, I guess, because yeah. you're a week in, but there's still a lot to go. Yeah. But like, you, everyone's looking forward to having a day off. Mm. Yeah, I think we were like nine or 10 days in 
by the first rest day. Yeah. And then, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, it was after stage 10, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was it. So it was kind of, you look forward to it the whole time, really. And especially once you're getting closer, it's nice just to like switch off completely and have a nice little spin to the cafe or do a nice little easy ride. People find it funny that you go for a ride on your day off when, mm. you know, yeah. you lying in bed. Yeah, it's, yeah, I think if you didn't, you'd feel 10 times worse the following yeah. day when you go to race turn your legs over, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just about sort of not seizing up really <clears> and, yeah, keeping things ticking over. And the, uh, actually, sorry, it was the day after that was the Strada Bianchi stage uh, with the gravel. Uh, and the rolling, because kind of rolling hills, aren't they? Yeah, that. surprising, because I think when the race first started, sort of picture them being flat for some reason, but yeah, everyone's sort of getting a good idea now that they're like steep climbs as well. On oh, the, right, yeah, okay. Some right. 15% at least um, to on gravel. It's, yeah, it's pretty challenging. So think of that then, generally, when you punch her again in a tour, it's radio, front, rear, handle, yeah. drift back. And you typically always, because they have, do have neutral service floating around, but I, d- I don't know, typically in a, in a peloton situation is that you'd wait mm. for your team car. Yeah, it's worst case scenario is the neutral right. service. Really, you end up with the wrong wheel. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's better to get your own mechanic to get yeah. the right wheel in and everything. Um, so so the car- it's kind of emergency, really, to get your home neutral. I, I sort of wanted to touch on that a little bit as well in that how how that side of the sport has changed with, with running discs. Yeah, mm. it's it's not it it's it's got to be a lot slower. It, yeah, it's it you know you you need the actual wheel change. Yeah, 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 yeah. And have it and have it having everything set up. You know, in the old days, we'd set our skewers yeah. prior to putting them onto the car, so you knew it was just one open, one in, and yeah. you were gone. They're getting a lot better with it now. Actually, um, they've got like it's just like a through axle, so it's like a drill they can do now. So it's like mm. Formula One, just like stick the thing in. Drill it straight out. So it's just got an Allen key, like we used to do with, with chain sets on yeah. the track years ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so they're sort of getting to getting the hang of it now, and the, the mechanics are like well drilled. I mean, it's probably part of their job now. They actually practice it to get it as fast as possible. Yeah. Um, but the, early on, initially, when the disc brakes were first coming in, yeah, there was some horrible wheel changes that were taken. Like, and then it'd be rubbing it. And, you and the thing is, you can't even adjust it if it's rubbing. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But they've definitely got that dialed in a lot better now. They're getting ten times yeah. better with it all. Yeah. So what, one of the other things, like the team cars behind, for those great and wrong, my understanding is, it's based on GC. Yeah. So if you, you know if you're leading on GC, the mm-hmm. first car behind in the convoy is the team leader. So yeah. naturally, you're going to be a bit further down. So therefore, the weight's longer, and therefore getting back longer, and there's more energy yeah. expended getting back on. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes in early stages of stage races, it's even if you haven't got a sprinter or something, it's handy to have someone get as far oh, up right. as you can just oh, for right. the car that's position. Manager, that's what your manager showed. Literally, yeah. He wants to be able to see the race. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be car 35, do you? Because you can't see anything. And some of these races are on like narrow roads. You know, it does take a while if, to get through the convoy if someone does have an issue. So sometimes it is better. Further up you are, the better. Yeah. Sometimes it comes into it. I mean, once you're getting into the race, you're... The GC position isn't going to change drastically, and so you can't really think about it. But certainly early on, in some interesting yeah, races, yeah. And the uh, the moving up through the convoy again, a fine art of again, I presume, obviously, how quickly cars moving. You draft you draft them on the way back up because it's generally yeah. accepted. You can yeah. you can get drafting back up. Uh, is that a challenge? Because again, uh, you you're behind cars. You're obviously trusting them not to break, and they're obviously used to riders being around them. But yeah, still, was I think. Scott in, on the TV yesterday with the crash. They're doing 35 mile an hour on the bumper of a car. Yeah. 
got used to mm. it now. I think had quite a lot of experience of doing it. <laughs> but um, and, and I think a lot of the drivers of the cars as well are ex are ex riders. So you know you, when you're driving in in a, in a cavalcade or a convoy of any any description, you you spend most of your time looking in your mirrors yeah. all the time. You can see the riders coming up. You know which side of the car they're going to. And, and I think as a rider as well, you start to know who you can trust and who you can't trust. Mm-hmm. Look for the bigger car, don't you? Yeah, get, better, better get a bit shower. more protection. Uh-huh. And, yeah. and there's a natural ease as well at some stages, where you can actually move up three or four cars and yeah. sit tight for a little bit, and you'll eventually get back up. Yeah, you've got to be patient with it, really. It's like a stepping stone thing. And yeah. like you say, when the convoy eases, you can hop a few at a time, but then going a bit quicker, you just sort of stay a little bit longer with that car and then wait till it eases up a bit to hop onto the next one. It's not for the faint-hearted, yeah. though, is it? No, that's it, yeah. But it is, it's, this, there are certain moments because when you go on that sort of speed and the corner's coming up and stuff and the convoy can like back up a little bit so you're sometimes flicking out and then like mm. there's other riders around doing the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's sketchy yeah, at times. And going back to like days and brake and stuff with the motorbike, again, it's been a, a thing. But you see a bit of recently where bikes have been told to move on because they're a bit too close. So the ever mm. you get a bit of that and then try and use the draft races. if you can. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you complain about it when it's someone else's team, but when it's you, you know, you're trying to get, you're trying to make the most of it. But um, yeah, it can happen a little bit. It's I mean, with the races that are on telly more, especially, there's not as much getting away with it. Um, and like I think, especially at the high level, the more even the motorbike riders are so trained into what mm-hmm. they're doing, the cameramen and that they're told to like avoid doing that yeah, now. Yeah, so yeah. you see the odd time the commentator kind of. Waving their hands, telling the motorbikes yeah, to move on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, some riders give them a backhander. To, <laughs> <laughs> bit of money to hold Oh, yeah, back it's a, a fr- bit. French race with a French rider and somebody's yeah. getting a French cameraman in front of him. So we'll uh, bang on to uh, stage 14. So this was up Zonkerland. Uh, pretty monstrous climb. Again, it's no, it's no Ingebrek, but it's fairly, uh, yeah. fairly feisty climb. Maybe. So your te- teammate got on the break that day. Uh, so as that break goes then and, and as the race goes on, are you guys as teammates thinking that might stay away? Is that a thought process that Yeah, as soon as the break goes You don't go on the front and try and kinda of really wide <laughs> and stuff. Exactly. A bit of that can go on as well. But we actually had two guys in the break there as well. Uh the, the lad that won the stage and then we also had another guy who was a bit better on the flat sort of stuff. And his sort of role within that break was to keep it moving, make sure it pushes on do more work on the flat the time he got to the climb his job is done and it was up to the other guy and um, so that was ideal it was perfect scenario really like I say you can't always like nitpick exactly who gets in the break and what break's going to go so to come away to get two guys in there that day was like perfect really um, and then yeah he was uh, like yeah, he had amazing legs and everything sort of came together perfectly really uh, the role of the other rider, he just did that perfect, got them to the bottom of the climb, and then uh, he was he did the rest. And I, I take it listening to a lot of it in the year, he's getting encouragement from the from the car, and you're yeah, yeah, because I was I had a good ride that day. Actually, I was sort of coming mm-hmm. out of my illness a little bit, and I was kind of starting to feel myself a lot better. I was kind of I remember there was a long climb before the Zonkland, and that whittled it right down. There wasn't like too many guys left there, and then um, yeah, when we hit the actual last climb. I was having it in the earpiece. I could hear like, uh, like all this Italian shouting at him. I knew <laughs> that sounds like good Italian. Yeah, yeah this yeah. sounds like good. It sounds positive. And then it was going <laughs> on and on. I thought he's going to be getting pretty close to the finish now. I was only, I don't know, a few minutes down the hill, thinking he must be like, you know, if I'm here, he's got to be close to the line. It must be sounding pretty good. And then um, 
it was yeah, it was great. It was listening to it the whole way up and then realizing he'd done it. It was it was amazing, really. Because yeah. I think going into the race, the team objective they say, oh, you know, we want to win a stage and also get breakaways, publicity, and all that. And like the winning of the stage, they know although it's possible, it's going to be bloody hard to do because you know you're at a Grand Tour first team first. We hadn't had a win all the year before that, and. Um, yeah, to, to be able to pull it off was just like a dream. And one of the queen stages mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It What's the Zonkalan like to climb? Steep. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> chain we, rings have you got on there? Thirty-six on the front, and I think it was like a thirty-two at the back, wow. something like that. Right. So, but there's actually three sides through the Zonkalan, and we did the easiest side. Oh, right. Luckily, yeah. So there's the there's the savage one, which I think it went up last when Froome did it, and then there's like a the next harder one and then we did the third harder right. but the last 3k was like a wall it was right. so steep yeah but you know lower down the climb wasn't certainly wasn't an easy climb but um, yeah we were lucky that we didn't have the hardest the what hardest percentages one. are they up the top then well we, we, 20 20 plus yeah, right. 25% mm. at times and you remember was, watching it it was incredible wasn't it well, the, the, yeah. the guy who was the last guy who was with Fortune Fortune out of yeah yeah uh, he was zigzagging. He was nearly get well. It looked like he was getting back to him on the TV, of course, because it was so steep. Yeah, probably twenty seconds behind. But when exactly. you looked at him on the TV, you were like, he's closing yeah. on him. Yeah, and yeah. then next thing he was zigzagging. Right. And again, guy obviously top professional and he's zigzagging on a climb. Yeah, yeah, showed yeah. you how steep it was. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. was thirty six, thirty two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which was not yeah. even around years ago. Yeah. You've got to wonder how they ever got yeah. up these things on. No, I don't know because you slide speeds exactly crazy. So you yeah. think you were sitting in the 30th that day in the stage? Yeah. Very impressive result. So, yeah. Mm. No, I was really happy with that. And I think that was kind of a bit of a turning point coming off like the illness that I'd had earlier on. And it was kind of like, oh, finally feeling good. Can sort of like try and have a good go now for the last week. So it was, I think mentally as well, because you, you sort of thinking before that of all the training you've done. I'd, I'd been away pretty much since February that year. And it was like, you know, you've been away from home doing these training camps, doing all this thing, everything sort of building up this race, turn up Gale after a few days, and yeah. it's just like, oh, and then you think, I'm actually going to get anything out of this at so all. It must be mentally so tough. Yeah. Just, like you say, day after, mm. and then it's raining, and then you get through, and it's like, yeah, that's it. And then, so by that point, it was like, oh, feeling quite good now. And I was like, it was sort of like chin up now for the rest of the week and, and try and do what I can for the rest of the race. So, so the, uh, actually, at that whole zero, did you see any Manx flags? Uh, don't think I did actually. Which, yeah, now you say it, it I don't think fairly I did, unusual because they <laughs> typically are around everywhere. You normally see one pop up somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. can't remember seeing any actually. But obviously, there's a lot less traveling going. Yeah, we know that. Yeah, there's sure. normally every place you go to, you normally see a few <laughs> on the way. And just on fans while we're on the mountain as well. What are your thoughts on the fans so close on the road? Do you see it as motivation or just sometimes when they're all on there, you're the on sign. your limit? Yeah, yeah. I know I'm trying not to think of that, but <laughs> we, you know, you stereotypically see them all crowded around on on you when you're yeah. up, you're on the red. So sometimes you're just like, will you just move out a yeah. little? Or are you someone who's like I, motivated I, I do by like all it, that? Yeah, I think that's kind of part of it. And I think yeah. it's part of the spectacle and what makes like the big races, the big races, you know? And I think um, that like atmosphere, it probably spurs you on. There's, there's times yeah. sometimes when you you can get like you're almost getting like goosebumps and that off the atmosphere mm. and that, and you forget about the pain in your legs for a bit. Mm. You're you're literally you're riding on like a bit of a high really, yeah. like just through the atmosphere. And um, you know, we you do see instances of like spectators interfering, and you obviously you're on time to get the odd idiot, but 
you know, you can't really control 200 kilometers of road Absolutely. either. And I think, like I say, on the climb and I think it's, it's part of it. I think sometimes yeah. it gets a bit silly, but, you know, that's like it's a part of it. Thing. And it's control, hard. well, not control, but common sense prevails. Not, and it not looks, many professional, well, probably no other professional sport in the world where yeah. you're can appreciate you don't want to be touched but yeah. you can stand two feet yeah, away from, yeah. Yeah. or sometimes a nice push on the back yeah. <laughs> it's quite nice as well you don't mind it sometimes <laughs> oh, please, stop, yeah. stop in a minute yeah, stop. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so uh, the, the question I have like the next day that the guy at Quebec uh, uh, got away uh, I think he'd been looking for Victor looking for a stage win all his career but that day the break was I had like a 70 minute gap and I don't think you guys had someone in the break no. that day is that a day when uh, when you get an earache from the DS going, why the F didn't want you to get uh, that break? A little bit, but I think by that stage, because of the Giro we'd had up to that point, already had oh, a right, break. Yeah, yeah. You're all champagne in the back. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly. But I think we'd, they'd sort of been so happy with like what how it, what had gone on for the first couple of weeks. So I think we got into the last week. It was like... Just um, bonus, whatever else. Pressure was off a little yeah. bit as well. But 100%, we kept it like... Serious. Everyone was like motivated, Harley. Probably the last week, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. we knew, yeah, like you say, knew it was possible to win. A new, um, yeah, it was. It was kind of. We still had the, the job to do, and the team was still serious about seeing it through right to the end. Yeah. But yeah, at the same time, there definitely was like a pressure off a little bit. We weren't. We weren't too hard. Yeah, I'd imagine the year eight from the DS. We hadn't had mm-hmm. the success to that point. It's probably a bit more cranky. Exactly. Yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah. So the next day was cut down because of bad weather. Is that like music to your ears at this stage? Yeah, it was, yeah. There was a lot of talk about it the day before because we'd had this bad weather in the mountains and it's almost like you watch it on telly, you see you wrapped up like everyone in the capes going through this weather and you, but you can't feel what it's actually like and like how cold it actually is and like it almost gets dangerous as well. And I think the stage they had mapped up, mapped out on that weather, it would have just been a survival. Like, I don't know how much of a spectacle in terms of race and it would have been anyway. It would have just meant we'd ridden longer and then it would have kicked off on the last climb anyway. But, you know, just to get to that last climb, it would have just been like procession, procession yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas to make it shorter, it's like open the race up, which what did happen actually, the race, it was probably a better stage to watch for that reason. Um, the organisers, there was a bit of tug of war really because the organisers were determined to keep the stage as it was. The riders were saying, we don't want to, and then there was. So a few you got representatives from a, from the riders' perspective who voice yeah, your collective exactly, opinion. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a vote going around at one point with all the teams to say mm. who wants to show on it, who doesn't. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we were. Yeah. We were it's it's one of the it's one of the nice things about um, racing at the, at this level, isn't it? That the actually the the peloton itself control the race, don't they? Mm. If you're going to neutralize something, if somebody decides they're going to neutralize it, or it's coming from the the overall race leader or the team or whatever, yeah. there's a general consensus goes around and you just stop racing. Don't yeah, you? pretty so much. So if you yeah. decided or if they if they if they won that uh, decision making process and you had to ride that distance, you were, in yourselves would have probably oh, half protest, it would have been like, it would have been a half protest, capes on, leg yeah. legs on, overshoes and just ride. Yeah, wouldn't yeah. It? you know? Ultimately, in it, it, yeah, that's it. And well, it's the same when you look at the crash yesterday you, and and, you, and or. Or in a lot of these races where you see that somebody will be chomping away at the bit mm. in the front that's unaware of what's gone on or yeah. is pretending to be unaware yeah, of what's yeah. gone on. But then somebody will come up, like if Alaphilippe will just come up and, and knock mm. him on the head and everybody just listens. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's I a think, beautiful part mm. of the sport. Yeah, yeah. Because I think 
it's probably the same in like all the sports nights where I was kind of like a mutual respect with everyone and I think common sense come into it that that day it was it was definitely the best thing to do but mm. there is always someone that wants to race like that vote that went round I was like why are they even doing a vote you know it's obvious there's a couple <laughs> of teams believe it or not like oh we want to do the full probably thing which, they probably had a set plan for that day didn't they yeah and... exactly and maybe someone goes better in good weather compared to other riders right. so we might have thought mm-hmm. we fancied the chance mm-hmm. to gain some time back um, you know everyone's got different reasons but um, yeah ultimately like they, they went with with short and mm-hmm. do you get like again mention Alain Philippe there riders like again just as ordinary punters like we are do you get starstruck by seeing you know you're riding next to Bernal is that uh, something that goes through your mind not too just much rider? I think when I was younger and sort of going into the like high level races a bit earlier probably more so but now yeah just just another rider. Another rider, and, that, and yeah, as he is, I, yeah. I, yeah, I think you sort of realise as well. The longer you go on, like everyone, they are just like normal people as well, normal riders. Not and um, yeah, I think another thing when I'm going into the Giro that now, like say Simon Yates is in there going for GC, and I did like the National Madison with him years ago. Was on the academy with him, knowing really well. It makes it a bit more like real, and you think with like he's going for GC he's just like another rider and they're all yeah. just the same as him sort of thing. And it's just a bit more normal type of thing where I think when you're younger and you're looking up aspiring to all these like riders mm-hmm. like Armstrong and all the guys at that age, that era, it's almost like they're different or something. They're just like a, yeah. a world away. But, but they don't want to be treated different, do they? Yeah, That's exactly. one of the things that you always get from Cav when he comes back home is mm-hmm. that he, he just likes the fact that people know him as Mark or yeah. Cav. Well, and the fact you're sat here says the same. Yeah, yeah exactly. says the same. You're just well, normal people yeah, and we're yeah, all yeah. friends and that's quite yeah, nice yeah. about we we about the elitism thing really yeah, yeah. Know, I was asked that years ago how you deal with elitism in sports and I said well we just don't but there isn't such a thing yeah yeah so I think for fans and that they do see that these like superstars and all that and yeah. I think you probably do get you get the odd rider probably in other sports who are like as well who are like goes to the head a bit and they think they're they're and they're exactly and then they just think there's some big superstar but Thing. Like, a, like a Cipollini type of thing. It was yeah. all an act, wasn't it? And all a show. True. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. the sport needs people like that as well, doesn't it? Definitely. Well, I think, yeah, ultimately, once your time's up the cycle and you move on, it's like quickly gets forgotten as well, doesn't <laughs> it? You know what I mean? It's like, and then, yeah, you're back to back to normal, I guess. But, yeah. So that was then leading into the second rest day, which again, is quite late in the tour. It's like after stage 16. It's quite late on. Yeah. Uh, just going back to getting in the break, I recall that stage 16 was that, uh, no, it wasn't stage 15, it was that big crash at the beginning. Oh, so yeah. the race went, and I remember watching, this, again, you talked earlier, you could see the whole stage, and the Quebec guy went, and the guy who won went on, and they got, they got away, and they got like five, and it was the first break to go. It was kind of on like a, it was quite a open plains, wasn't it? Yeah. And I presume yeah, it was true. a bit, a little bit windy, and then a, narrowish road next mm-hmm. thing the thing went down and they, they neutral stopped the race didn't they I think because of medical stuff yeah. what information are you getting told in your ear at that stage yeah we it was pretty quickly after the crash we, we sort of got going well I was just behind it it was really close to going down actually I was quite lucky and then um, I, we knew it was a big one we, we think sometimes it happens to get neutralised so I was half expecting it I thought oh there's a good chance this will, you know they're going to calm things down and then in the radio like pretty shortly after so oh, neutralise it so that's a good thing about the radio is going back to that, mm-hmm. that yeah, right. you know, you're getting that information really quick um, from like the safety side of thing as well and then um, yeah that was just like everyone I think I don't think they had enough ambulances yeah, to right, deal yeah. with like all the accidents because there was a lot of bodies on the floor 
Um, it was a nervous start. It was a bit of wind about. You've got like every manager saying we need to be in the front because it's could, <laughs> and it was one of those days where it probably wasn't enough wind to actually split it. But you got to be there just in case. So it's kind of like when it's definitely going to split and you really need to be there. It's kind of you can be more up for it because it's like oh we you know we have to be there. But when it's like oh it might go it might not. But then you've got to fight just in case. It's it's a little bit different. Someone must have just switched off, twitched the wheel at the start, nervous, stressful. I think we had a tailwind at the time and it was just yeah. absolute carnage. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was what I thought really impressive about that stage was they did exactly the same when it restarted. The two Quebec guys went exactly, you know, because they haven't just done a massive probably 10 minute effort yeah. and then literally stopped. There's no warming down, is there? And yeah. then literally as they went again, they went again and got yeah. away and ultimately won the stage yeah. as well, which is a pretty impressive teamwork. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, yeah. They had the big yeah. lad with them, whoever that was. I'm sure he's not a big lad, but in the context of cycling. Yeah. Uh, doing all the work and, and Victor, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. That was another stage I thought we were in for like a quite a nice relaxing day. It was kind of like after <laughs> what we'd been through and the next thing in the before the start early on the day it's like oh wind forecast you know, there's always something that pops up and then I think we got to like 20k to go and it just absolutely lashed down we crossed into Slovenia and then oh um, yeah it was busy the crowds were pretty immense yeah there, yeah they? Oh, it, was, it was mega yeah and then yeah absolutely freezing by the time we get to finish and it was just <laughs> another day another oh yeah it was raining towards the end wasn't it you finish yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh how are you with, uh, I mean, do you know people when, when you've got to put jackets on and stuff, I still can't do it riding my bike. Is that something you're quite comfortable throwing a jacket on? And yeah. Do you know people in the peloton, you, people stay clear of when they're trying to stick uh, a jacket on? Generally, oh, everyone's, everyone's pretty good. good. Yeah, especially yeah. at that level. I suppose like, everyone's been racing for years. So when you're in like junior, under 23 races, amateur stuff, it's that's when everyone's making their mistakes and learning it and yeah. it's chaos. But like they learn them things that age. So when you get it, High level, yeah, yeah. should have been learning how to wheel on the move when you were a junior. Yeah, I know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's something years ago, they, used to, we, we, they were teaching. I remember Rob, uh, Rob Holden doing it with a, with a youth um, team, they must have all been schoolboys, I think, and he had them all lined up on rollers. And it was yeah. just, I went down to, I just nipped in to see him, and all he was doing was getting them to hand one bottle all the way up the line and back oh, again okay. and then they had to take a cape out of the back pocket yeah. on the rollers and put it on. Yeah. And that's teaching 15 year olds, but it's that's basic stuff, really, isn't yeah. it? It's all about the balance and understanding. We did that in the GB thing when we were actually in the early days, and we'd be out in a group ride and say, "I want to beat the hole," and you got to put your cape on. Yeah. <laughs> you beat the hole, and you're putting this bloody cape on and that on, on off. But 100. Yeah, then you realise you're putting your back pocket early. with one arm inside it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, it can be annoying when you're in the crosswind and that as well. Sometimes you can't do it on the move; it's just dodgy. It, like you literally can't do no handed properly, and then. Yes, you either don't get a chance to put it on or you've got to actually stop to put it on. But yeah, generally everyone's got like, they know what they're doing really. And is it harder on those days as well where you put a cape in and all? You've got a cape and you mentioned earlier the shortened stage. Fueling, because again, if you're on a bike, like you go through that big long descent, you're cold. Feeding is probably the last thing on your mind, yeah. but also something that's super important. One, because your body's probably starting to shut down. Yeah. And two, you've got a whopping day the next day yeah, as well. Exactly. Is that, that must be a challenge. It's doubly important when you're on them days because right. keeping warm is. It's taking more out of you, even. Um, you know, you've got the, the riding itself, but then the weather's like double the effects, but you can't even feel your fingers and that. And you're trying to, like, and then especially if you've got like a cape over the top yeah. of your jersey and you're trying to pull that up, get in, you can't, in hands and go to a corner you don't know. Trying to, and then you end up like pulling three gels out <laughs> by accident, dropping two of them. And it's just like, oh, 
Yeah. Litter and fine. It, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you're just trying to get as much in at every opportunity when you can, really. Yeah. yeah. So, so stage 19, uh, day in the break. Again, how hard can you recall it was it getting in that day? It was, yeah, it was quite a big effort, actually. It was a long, a lot more than the first break, anyway. Um, I think it was a good 40 minutes of racing at least before it finally snapped off. And I'd made quite a few moves before that as well. I was really keen to get up the road that day. Um, like I say, had me issues sort of early on in the race and had the crash and stuff. And I was wanting to really get into a decent break, really, and give myself a good chance. So, um, yeah, I was trying to get on it from the start. I was, yeah, quite a big effort. But again, it was just trying to think about the first breaking the stage up a little bit, really. And the first part okay. of that stage is getting in the break. And then once you're in the break, sort of taking stock, reassess who's in the break, what chance you've sort of got, who, you know, and then sort of take the rest of the stage from there. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, that you were the last man standing in that break. Was there, again, during that stage where, because I don't think the gap ever got massive. Is this like I'd imagine in your head you're like you lot just fucking leave us alone? Yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because we go back to like the early part of the race when, it's, like you were saying, um, once GC sort of taking a bit of shape, the bigger teams have sort of taking control of what they got, and you got guys that go in the breakaway because you know they've got a good chance of staying away. It's sort of sometimes you get to the back end of the race, it can flip a little bit where some of the big teams that have had a bad tour, like Quick Step, had a really bad Giro. They hadn't got anything out of the race. So for them, they were like, oh, we want to actually not let this breakaway go because we're limited on chances now. We've only got a couple of days left. We need to get a, a stage win or a big result or whatever. And um, so fortunately, by that point, the combination that got away, I think there was like seven or eight of us. If we had a few more, a bit more manpower, it would have definitely helped to like test them teams, really, the guys yeah, that wanted yeah. to bring it back. Because the guys that were in the pink jersey, I think Ineos, they'd already had couple of stage wins that they were probably more than happy to let it go but then you've got the other teams that have had like a bad Giro and they're saying oh actually we're going to try and keep a hold of this breakaway so we never quite got enough rope to give yeah, us like yeah, the best yeah. chance really on the last climb but um, yeah we got pretty deep into the stage yeah yeah for sure and yeah. do you know like that either that evening or the following day when you sort of know your own body and your own legs do you know I've had a workout the day before or is it just sort of miles on miles on miles whether you'd have been in the break or not. Can you tell the difference in yeah, your own body? I think, yeah. Tiredness? You've, you've, it, yeah, definitely. I think, um, especially when you plan to try and be in a break one day, you might, even the day before it, you'd be like, oh, they say, oh, don't bother today, just trying to get easy target tomorrow and save it. So when, if that day does come along, you're on the break, you haven't like spent up your pennies yesterday mm-hmm. um, for like maybe a stage that isn't suited to you as well or whatever. You've given yourself sort of the best chance when you are in, stage that suits you basically um yeah and then likewise the day after you know if you had a big day out on a semi-recovery day try and get through as easy as possible to then think of the days after again i was pretty lumpy that next day if i recall as well yeah uh, on stage 20 the day after right okay. yeah i can't remember what so it's the much <laughs> at the uh at the end of the day the 19th stage 19 uh is the much having been the break all day much media requirements for you uh sometimes yeah the um a couple of yeah had a couple of interviews after it yeah. um sometimes the next day as well but in the morning right. of the stage they they talk about like the previous stage so then you sometimes get like collared or whatever for interviews and a bit of a and is a lot of that just on the hoof so you might be going to sign on they'll catch you or will your pr guy and your, and your team go and they guy. want you yeah 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 pr o'clock. guy sort of links it all up and right. they they kind of speak to him it's all sort of obviously 
big system in place yeah, how yeah. it all works really so they sort of speak to him and then he'll tell us like oh after you've signed on or whatever got to go to the media thing to speak right. to someone yeah so so mornings i always think about mornings so you just wake up when because the stages often start which is something i kind of you know it's in the more towards lunchtime so it's i think mm. typically anyway uh so is it just wake up whenever you wake up or they say you need to be at breakfast at eight yeah there's always a certain time for breakfast right. yeah it's normally um good three four hours before the stage start yeah. so i'd say normally they're a bit later but you get the odd day when you've got like a long transfer before the start just you what you to, want exactly yeah and you need to get to the start you know a good hour or two before at least before so you're having like an early breakfast to get on the move um which is always a bit of a pain but and then sometimes like the hotel is like a stone throw away from the start line the next morning which is great so you just get up at leisurely time a bit, bit more relaxed but so it does sort of vary day to day, but generally you're trying to eat like a few hours before. So the the last stage of the, probably don't remember the stage before that you mentioned about uh, in Caruso, there was, I think there was some hills towards the end there because then Caruso got away. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there, are you then thinking, uh, you know, I'm at, the, I'm at the end now, Just it's just about getting through the stage. Was he tired from the day before being mm-hmm. away in the break? It's just... yeah. It was not switching off, but it's yeah, you, the end sort of gets in sight then, and yeah. you think, yeah, you just round the corner, and you, yeah, you're trying to like, the, I suppose, like the first aim of the whole race is to make it to Milan, you know, you want to finish the race first things first, and um, you know, when you sort of get to that stage, you're, you're so tired every day, right. you're, you're, and you're you sleeping more and more every night, yeah, like you sleep. Yeah, pretty sleeping in transfers and yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you can definitely feel the fatigue creeping in. I think once you get sort of halfway through, you sort of probably say the same. Really, in terms yeah, of right. fatigue, you, it's almost so far you can go with it, but you just sort of <laughs> going through the motions and getting into that routine. Do you develop um, that stare at breakfast? You know, where you're just, yeah. looking, just looking at like something that's not there. Yeah. <laughs> some yeah, some days I felt like that definitely, but yeah. uh, I think overall, I, I never sort of found myself in a complete box. Like I was always like. You know, managing mm. my efforts like quite well, like managing like day to day recovery and everything. I suppose, as far as the team's concerned, looking at the because it's all new for this year, I suppose for for you and for the team, they must be quite happy with how how that that the state the Giro's finished. You know, they've, they've got all their exposure. You performed brilliantly. I mean, that nineteenth stage was phenomenal. You know, you, you didn't you weren't just last man standing. You were you were head and shoulders above the rest of the break. I thought that day mm. anyway. Um, they must be really happy with the way you've been performing in the team and, and, and you must be happy as well. Mm. You must have come out of that race with a big high, knowing that, you know what, I can compete at this level uh, yeah. uh, and more more than just coping with it, mm-hmm. achieving. Mm. You yeah, know, it was definitely nice to finish on a positive note as well, mm. good legs. Um, you know, I think I put myself in a good position for to give myself the best chance of a result at the end. And yeah, um, yeah. I think, you know, even though the break obviously got caught, the legs were really good and it was kind of, given what, I'd gone through early on in the race where yeah, it was yeah. just like a bit of a roller coaster journey. Coming out of it with a, with a real positive yeah, yeah, finish yeah. to the race was definitely nice. Yeah, and, and yeah. there's a team. I mean, not not interjecting no, with you, with uh, but with likes of the Vuelta at the end of the season, are they, are they looking at that as well, or or have you have you solidified your sort of place in the team as as the as the the major stage race rider or uh, one of them? I think, but I think. Um, yeah, I think next year they're looking to build the team as well. So, um, which is good. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a few like a uh, few more riders coming in. I think they'll keep hold of like a lot of the guys they got at the moment, but just sort of like, expand on it a little bit. Mm. Um, well, as I don't think they do well this year, but there's a chance for next year as well. Right. Uh, of course, they'll 
go back to the Giro. Um, hopefully, a bit better weather forecast for next year. <laughs> I might have a look at the advanced forecast now and, and uh, don't bother. Give it a miss. Yeah, yeah. but um, no, I think as far as the race went on a whole, like they were, they couldn't have dreamt it would go that well with yeah, the stage yeah. win and everything like that. So, yeah, they were. We're really happy, and I think the only problem is you've got to go and win two stages next year. That's <laughs> the issue, but no, I think they have to yeah. stay realistic, really, in terms of how much of a dream it was to win a stage this year that might not happen again next year, but obviously just go into it again with, with the aim of doing so. Yeah, it's a two year contract you've got with them. Uh, no, I haven't signed for next year, oh, yet, right, so okay, that's, so that's the whole going. Or, yeah, 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 that's the general view, then. Yeah, fingers crossed. So what is what is for the rest of the year? So we're in. We're now start July. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've got my next race is the end of July, so I've got a couple of weeks here. I've had a bit of downtime after the Giro. Yeah, so just maybe just talk about that. Yeah, do you just like the next day, just no bike for a couple of days? Yeah, it was. was. Yeah, I had. Um, I actually had a ride. I was meant to have a rest day Monday, ride on the Tuesday, nice and easy. Another rest day Wednesday. My bike didn't turn up on the flight when I got back into the UK, so it was a bit late. And then I could have gone on my other bike, but I was like, off. Oh, I'll just have a couple of days off. And after that third day off and I turned the legs again for that fourth day I was God. couldn't hardly pedal I was absolutely <laughs> locked up you know just doing like three weeks solid and then yeah, nothing yeah. for three Probably days just shuts down doesn't it yeah and obviously being on isolation here as well I was mm-hmm. sat like on the on the sofa hardly doing anything at all not even like walking around or anything um, so a couple of rides later you sort of get the feel back in your legs a little bit and start to recover but um, I think if I was doing races like pretty quickly after it I would have had a bit yeah, more focus yeah. on that sort of recovery really the post week but it was more a case of having like time off the bike break just sort of switch off for a bit before we didn't like build them back up for the second half of the season did your weight fluctuate from start to finish she hears stories yeah. of people losing weight here others where they've eaten so much they put weight on yeah, yeah probably a little bit on yeah right. probably because you get to that point <laughs> probably a good sign now that you've eaten yeah. enough yeah that's it exactly. better that way than the other way I'd have thought generally it's quite normal that you do put a kilo or two on I think yeah. most people do definitely I think the stress of the race in itself the damage it does to you the body sort of holds on to a bit more as well and also okay. you've got to eat that much towards the back yeah. end of the race it's fuel you, yeah it just um, yeah it's natural really that it just you put a kilo or so on yeah. so yeah. you're saying sorry end of July is the next race yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And then not 100% sure on the programme after that. I've uh, got still sort of figuring that one out with the team and stuff, but mm-hmm. everyone's sort of like taking stock at the moment. And there's a pencil in programme, but looks like we're going to get some good races for the end of the year. Cool. We're initially going to do Tour Britain, but that's not happening now. Right. Not, um, yeah, there's been a few changes to the programme. But right. That would have been a nice one to target, yeah, but yeah. no, there's plenty uh, plenty left on the calendar anyway. And what we talked earlier, like using the word, if that's, I said it three times, how unlucky, but you stand back right now in your career, and you're not you know, way over the hill in that regard, mm. but you've ridden two of the three biggest things. Do you ever take mm. stock of that? Does that ever? Uh, a little bit, probably more so when I do come to stop and fully look back on it all, but. I think, like I said, the number of people in the world that have done one, let alone two mm-hmm. of them. Yeah, yeah. Still, like I say, still sort of looking forward at the moment. Still mm-hmm. hungry to yeah. keep progressing, keep moving, and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of riders after the age of thirty have the best years they have in their mm-hmm. career. Sean Yates actually told me that as well. He said, mm-hmm. "I think you like thirty-two. You had the best year you ever had." And you know, I think of other riders uh, like Steve Cummins, guys like that. They really had a, like you know yeah, the best yeah. best wins of his years were. You know, mid thirties, I think, even yeah. 34, 35. Well, sports so. science and way people look after their bodies mm-hmm. now as well. The mm-hmm. longevity is 
Yeah. I've heard his example like 42. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know so, if I'll be that old. Yeah. Kind of stuff, <laughs> but, um, I think, um, yeah, 100%. And I, I suppose it's just one rider to another, just varies massively. Some guys probably come in, hit the ground running in the early 20s, like fade off a little bit. Other guys like take more time to get into it. Yeah, Everyone's yeah. got different journeys really. And, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so hopefully a few good years ahead. And apart from the tour, mm-hmm. what other event race or stage should we say do you would you want to have on your uh, um cv should we say what would you like to put on to do it uh probably yeah tour de france obviously the main one like you said world championships as well i've done that already i'd love to do that again um yeah that's like massive like that's got a really unique feel mm. to it normally they're on like finished circuits or used to be the whole thing on laps and yeah like massive crowds stuff like that that's like I'd imagine there's more of again a matey atmosphere because you're with yeah exactly people you've probably grown up with as well but yeah yeah it is definitely it's more there's there's a real party atmosphere to the race as well with all the fans and that as well Um, yeah so that'd be good to do again but I think yeah just generally all all the the big races really Mm. yeah trying to think off the top of my head I've ticked a few of them off already Mm. so I think the Tour de France would be the the obvious one and is that I presume that's I used the word realistic, a goal that's... Yeah, I think especially the direction the team's going. Yeah. Um, hopefully sort of you know, in, in another couple of years, yeah. like they, may, they may get a shot at that as well, yeah. um, which would be awesome. So yeah, first things first, just try and stick with the team, keep moving himself in the right direction yeah, yeah. and see what happens really. Yeah. And I, sp- I suppose, because un- sitting underneath this... Uh, this world's world level sportsman is is just a normal maximum with a big day coming up at the end of the year. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how how are the plans going with that? Yeah, good. With um yeah, you'll have to ask the other half on that one. She's <laughs> she's, she's the boss. <laughs> but um no, generally we're on track. Um no, I'm really looking forward to it. It's gonna be gonna be great. Timed it well at the end of the season for to be able to sort of have a couple of weeks after the last race to be able to have a nice little build up towards that. Um yeah, plans are in place. We look Indeed. forward to it. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Dead show for you. Cheers. Thanks for coming in and mm. sort Thank of having a deep, deep dive into the uh, into the world of behind the scenes as well and yeah. the, the stresses and strains of racing uh, that a lot of us don't get to, well, we don't get to see, do we? Yeah. And thanks for coming down, Burgers. And no, no. Yeah, I loved it. Loved it. Yeah, no, yeah, no worries at all. Been, mm. been great. Yeah, we enjoyed it. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks, Mark. Do you want to uh, check us out, Matt? Yeah. Um, so wherever you're listening or watching us, please like, share, subscribe, and leave those five-star reviews pretty please. Facebook with the M-Word Podcast, Twitter, M-Word Podcast with number one, and then on Instagram, we are the M-Word IOM. Thanks for listening and letting us in your sexy ears. It's Word Out from Mom. And Word Out from Matt.